Welcome, 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 ladies, gentlemen, everyone in between. Welcome to the penultimate episode of Keeping It 100. I am Emmett Watkins Jr., also known as EJ Spun61 on all different internet platforms out there. And I am very, very, very excited to finally get to the end of this thing. We, we actually have ideal conditions. Um, things are looking up here. Uh, this is the final episode of this podcast where I rank my top 100 games of all time and I have finally made it to the end of the ranking. Now, I will say, this isn't going to be the final episode yet. We still have to explain what the actual ranking is going to be. Like, I have to share that ranking with you guys. Um, we're going to do that in a video format, which I'll talk a little bit more about in just a moment. Um, I've been teasing it for a while now. You guys already know what's up. But in any case, this episode is going to be us going from 90% sorted all the way to 100% sorted. And I'm, I can't explain to you how excited I am for this because this means that once I finally finish the sorting, not only will I finally know the final ranking and be in my feelings about it, but then I'll finally be able to work on this video finale that I've been talking about doing, finish the write-ups for all of them, um, and just really give this thing a grand, a grand ending like I want to do. Um, I'm super excited for this. And plus, you know, all of the issues I've had with computers and having to resort the list every single time and reset everything, all of these issues will be, it'll be worth it, man. It'll be worth it in the end because we'll finally have a big project all completed <laughs> where this whole thing came from just a stupid little idea that I had on Twitter and it blew up into this big thing. And a lot of you have been sticking along for the ride. So I really, really do appreciate that. And we're going to go ahead and get into this selection of games. Now, thankfully, I talked about this on the last episode. Last episode, my computer was melting so much that it wouldn't even screen record for me. And I had to use my phone to capture the screen because I do. This is a podcast and that's the only version of this I'm sharing is the audio. But I do also do. I also do record a video as well, just so I can, you know, match up if if everything breaks down and I have to start the list all the way from zero. I can look back at that footage more easily than using the podcast. And then it's just a way for me to say, OK, I selected the one on the right, one on the left, one on the right. And it, I can just go through it really quickly that way. And um, I had to use my phone and record my phone or record the computer monitor with my phone last time. But for some reason, Streamlabs wants to work with me today. So we're recording the screen, thankfully. Uh, it, it seems like everything's just not breaking apart quite as harshly as it was earlier. Uh, I'm thankful for it. And we're going to definitely take advantage of that momentum and coast this good vibe into the end or end of the sorting and the penultimate end <laughs> of, I keep saying penultimate, just because I like that word and it's a big word and it makes me feel smart when I use it, but I only learned it. Oh, wait. <coughs> Bless me. Thank me. Um, yes, excuse me. Uh, sorry about that. I learned it from Series Unfortunate Events, so that's why I'm like so excited about this. Um, I just like that word a lot. I learned it when I was young and I thought it was cool and it, it, it served me well in adulthood so far. 
But in any case, we're going to get into these battles right now. Um, so battle number 470 is what we left off on with 90% sorted. We're going to go ahead and start with this one, which is Doki Doki Literature Club versus Doom 2016. Now, this one's a tad difficult only because Doom... If this is a tad difficult because Doki Doki Literature Club has an ending that I think is crazy. I think I think Doki Doki Literature Club's ending is like one of the greatest, maybe not greatest ending, but one of the most surprising endings I've ever played in a game. Um, and that's really why that game sticks out to me. It's because of that ending slash second half as a whole really was just something I had never seen in a game. I thought it was super cool for it. Um, where Doom 2016... It, it, it does what it says on the tin. You shoot demons, and it's fun to shoot demons. And yes, that glory kill mechanic was super fun and did add... It did encourage you to kind of run into the fight and be a lot more aggressive. But they didn't really take the whole using your enemies as resources. They really didn't come to the... They didn't really take advantage of that concept wholly and completely until we got to Doom... Uh, Eternal, which I've talked about, I've beaten at this point, so it's a little awkward to have Doom 2016 being the representative of that franchise on this list, but nonetheless, I think Doom Eternal, while it's still a better game, I still think Doom 2016 is a good game, and I really enjoy it, and I had a great time with that campaign, gameplay-wise, I thought the campaign was super fun to play through, uh, I also believe the, what was it, what was it, the multiplayer, uh, I, I, I don't remember... Or it's not that I don't remember. I don't often think about the Doom multiplayer, but when I do think about it, I remember, oh yeah, it was really fun. Um, it, it's a game that I haven't gone back to often, but it was super good when I was playing it more often. Um, so I do want to give props to Doom 2016 for that. And uh, yeah, I think what I'm going to do here is, despite my love for the second half and the whole big crazy twists and turns in Doki Doki Literature Club... I've said it before and I'll say it again, Doki Doki Literature Club's beginning sections, like its first hour or so, is kind of, not dull, it's just like middle of the road, where it's not outwardly bad, and it's also not like blowing me away, it's just fine. It, it, it was introducing me to a genre I had never really interacted with, but it was overall just okay, uh, where Doom 2016 was pretty great for almost the entire campaign. I can't really think of too much in that campaign where, wow, 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 things are happening on Twitter. <laughs> and it just popped up on my little secondary screen here. Um, so I'm going to minimize that so I don't get distracted too much. But yeah, Doom 2016 is going to get the vote here because I think that game is a lot more fun to just play. I think the gameplay of Doom 2016 is... Even if it is still less fun than, uh, or less involved, I'll say, there's less to Doom 2016 than there is for Doom Eternal. Doom Eternal definitely made everything a little bit deeper and raised the stakes on every single action in that gameplay suite. But I enjoy Doom a lot. I think Doom is super fun, super satisfying, and I have a lot more positive opinions on just this gameplay. Even if I don't care much about the story, characters, all that stuff, I think his gameplay just is top-notch. So I'm going to give it the nod over Doki Doki. Doki Doki is still great, but I think we have to come to terms with what's really going on here. <laughs> this is a gameplay. I, I'm going to lean towards gameplay more often than not if the gameplay is strong enough. 
And yeah, I'm going to go ahead and give it up for Doom. Whew. Please. Now my computer's doing the thing where it's like, all right, we know you clicked something. We're catching up. All right. It's good. We're all safe here, y'all. Um, battle number 471. Um, still at 90% sorted. Doki Doki Literature Club versus Wolfenstein, the new Colossus. Um, this one, this one, you know what? This one isn't hard. This one isn't hard at all. Both of these games are really stick out to me for their plot twist and for their narratives overall. Like Doki Doki, I've already, I just talked about how Doki Doki Literature Club has a crazy ending, crazy twist and all that. Wolfenstein 2, very similar. Not necessarily that it has a crazy ending, but there's a twist that happens somewhere in the game that just completely, like, I was like, how the fuck did they pull that off? But I think Wolfenstein is going to get the edge here because not only does it have that one big twist, it also has just a bunch of... The thing that's so remarkable about Wolfenstein 2 is how it bounces back and forth between narratives, between narrative styles and, like, tones. Like, it, it really, it clashes tones all the time, but it does so so consistently and so often that it doesn't feel out of place, where you're getting horrific tragedy juxtaposed against slapstick comedy so often and just outright absurdity so often that that is what the vibe of Wolfenstein 2 is. It is about the absurd mixed with the, mixed with the, I don't know, bleak. <laughs> it is, it is the insane mixed with the, uh, depressing. It, it is a lot of stuff mixed into one and it just puts you on a roller coaster ride emotionally as much as it does, uh, I guess literally <laughs> in the case of, you know, you're having a lot of these action set pieces here. They're, the action in the game is hardcore. And I've already talked about how Wolfenstein 2 is way more challenging than it needs to be to the point where it feels like the game is broken rather than it just be rather than the challenge just being a demanding thing. Sometimes it feels like, oh, no, mechanically, there is something off that makes this game more challenging than it needs to be. That's what it feels like. But in any case, the, the positives of Wolfenstein 2 stick out so much more than the negatives. And to me, the the narrative of Wolfenstein 2 is definitely more personally impactful to me than Doki Doki Literature Club. And just by way of it being a shooter, it's more fun than Doki Doki Literature Club, um, just for me personally. So we're going to go ahead and give the nod to Wolfenstein 2 here. All due respect to Doki Doki, but you'll get props soon, I'm sure. Battle number 472. Tales from the Borderlands versus Doki Doki Literature Club. Um, hmm. I think this is going to be another case where... Yeah, Tales from the Borderlands I'm going to vote for here. Because Tales from the Borderlands is my favorite Borderlands game, number one. Number two, I really like those characters. And I really like how they treated the characters that were already a part of the Borderlands franchise. They treated the the existing characters really well. They added new characters that I liked more than a lot of the existing characters. Uh, they did a lot there that made me care about I like someone telling me that they made a narrative single player adventure based off of the Borderlands franchise just doesn't make sense to me. Like I thought that story was cool in Borderlands too, as I've talked about, but I don't necessarily think of Borderlands as being a game I like for the story. Um, I guess now until Tales from the Borderlands came out and I was super impressed by it, super blown away by it. And I think that game is best, uh, if not their best, it's probably Tales versus Walking Dead for me as far as their best game. But yeah, Tales from the Borderlands really just hit a, hit a nerve with me in a good way. 
where Doki Doki Literature Club is still impressive, but like Tales from the Borderlands kind of had me at hello, you know, like Tales from the Borderlands. I was in love with pretty instantly, pretty, pretty soon after I started Tales. I was like, oh, this is actually really cool. Or Doki Doki, I had to warm up to it and then I was in love. And then Tales just continued to just say, oh, you like that? Well, how about this? Oh, you love that? Oh, how about this? You adore that? And then it just kept escalating. Where Doki switched from like, oh, this is interesting to what the fuck? Hell yeah, let's go. So like, I, I like that gradual raise that Tales gave me. Um, so yeah, I think Tales is going to win here because I still think about Gordy somewhat regularly where the characters in Doki Doki I don't really think about much because it's less about it is about the characters. Yes, but it's less to me. It's the, the big thing about Doki Doki is less the characters and more the the twist. It's really about the twist and how that twist is implemented and what you have to do and how it takes advantage of its platform in a way that I never even thought of. Uh, yeah, Do- Doki Doki rules, but Tales from the Borderlands, I have to give it the edge here. Battle number 473, Doki Doki Literature Club versus Call of Duty (laughs) Modern Warfare 2019. (laughs) What a fucking matchup. (laughs) All right, let's see what's happening here. Um, You know what, man? If if Call of Duty Modern Warfare was sitting here on the merits of just just a single-player campaign, if it was just a single-player campaign I was looking at, then Doki Doki would win. Because for as cool as I think that single player campaign is in Modern Warfare, um, I still have a little bit of issue with it. The, it doesn't hold up the scrutiny as much as some of these other campaigns do. Um, where Doki Doki is just like really cool no matter what. Um, but what we have to take into, take into effect here, that excellent, excellent, excellent multiplayer suite. I, I, I've said it so many times on this podcast. Modern Warfare 2019 might be the best multiplayer suite they've ever put out. And I am enjoying it immensely. Uh, and I'm still playing through it, man. I'm still trying to rank up that battle pass and get to that SKS before the uh, season's up. Uh, that's my goal right now. And yeah, I just really enjoy the game, man. It's just really satisfying, really fun. Uh, is giving me everything that I want from a, from a game like this. And uh, it's really hard to compare the really cool narrative of Doki Doki to just the pure bliss of the gameplay feel of Modern Warfare. It's really unfair to compare them, but that's the idea of the show. That's kind of what this is. It's going to be some unfair comparisons. And because of this, for the sheer fact that I just enjoy the gameplay more in Modern Warfare, I'm going to give it to Modern Warfare. Doki Doki still got love for you, still got respect for you. But Modern Warfare is where it's at for now, so we're going to go ahead and give it the click right now. Battle number 474. Wow. Doki Doki Literature Club versus Assassin's Creed Origins. Gosh darn it, man. I... It it sucks. It's really getting hard in these challenges, because as you heard last episode, it's starting to really come for, like, the darlings that you vote in every single matchup, it's really starting to put it up against your other darlings and be like, how much do you truly love this one game? And Doki Doki Literature Club is really starting to, they're really starting to test my love of this game because they're putting it up against Assassin's Creed Origins right now. And I really do think Origins is going to have to win over Doki Doki Literature Club here. Uh, I, 
just the exploration in Assassin's Creed Origins is just so immaculate. And I think that is the strongest aspect of Assassin's Creed Origins. But you add on top of that, you know, Bayek being a wonderful character. You add on top of that. Oh, wait. Ooh, goodness gracious. I hope the Internet doesn't go out on me while I'm recording, because if that happens, that would make me have to refresh everything. And then I'd freak the fuck out. Hopefully that's just the Wi-Fi. Oh, boy. Yeah, because my tablet is just said, oh, it's disconnected from the Internet. But it, my, I'm, my computer's hardwired, so hopefully everything's fine. We'll just keep our fingers crossed. In any case, <laughs> Assassin's Creed Origins um, is the exploration is great. But then you add the character of Bayek being awesome. You add that narrative being really compelling. You add so many. Ooh, the, the art design is so great when you get into some of these tombs and some of these environments. Thank God there is a photo mode because I took a lot of photos in Assassin's Creed Origins. I was really in love with the art design of that game. Um, and just just the the upgrade just the rpg systems of it where the combat is pretty compelling um and i'm learning even now revisiting recently trying to play through the season pass content i'm learning new in intricacies of the combat with different weapons that i didn't really pay attention to all that much before uh it's just really really good man they really made a great game in assassin's creed origins and i have to give it there's here's the thing man doki doki literature club is good at that one thing but Assassin's Creed Origins is like a masterclass in a lot of things. And even even in the things it's not perfect at, it there's still so many great things about Origins that is attacking Doki Doki Literature Club from all sides. Where Doki Doki can only attack from one side. Uh, maybe two. <laughs> so yeah, that's the hardest part about it. And I have to give it to Origins, man. I and Origins is in Africa, man. Getting to explore Africa as like the most, as the least morally compromised character in the entire Assassin's Creed game is an African man. Like, come on. That's fucking dope. Let's, let's fucking go. Assassin's Creed Origins wins. Battle number 475, Doki Doki Literature Club versus Inside. Whew. Huh. Now these are both very similar in the fact that I really love these games for their crazy endings, but I think what we have to consider here is, uh, how do I say, I really don't want to say the difference in their crazy endings, because that would kind of be a spoiler. Um, I will say, mm, I'll say it like this, Doki Doki Literature Club's crazy ending is a little bit more Deadpoolsian <laughs> than Inside, where Inside is just Inside is a crazy ending like Old Boy, where ooh, I'll say it like this. Yeah, I thought of an even better analogy. Inside has a crazy ending like Old Boy has a crazy ending, where Doki Doki Literature Club has a crazy ending like Funny Games has. Well, it wasn't a crazy ending in Funny Games. If you've seen the movie Funny Games, which I hope you haven't, because that movie looks utterly depressing and super violent, and I can't recommend it to anybody, but there's a certain notorious scene. I'm talking about the remake now, not the original French movie. The one with, uh, I'm talking about the one with, like, I think Tim Roth is in it, and, um, what's her name from the Peter Jackson King Kong? Pretty white girl. Anyway, Naomi Watts. Um, yeah, I think it's Naomi Watts. Anyway. It's not Naomi Campbell. He is probably Naomi Watts. Um, I have a computer for me. What the fuck am I doing? 
Funny Games Cast. <laughs> Hold the phone. Funny Games Cast. Oh god, I hope it doesn't bring up like a kind of funny games cast cuz that would be annoying. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Naomi Watts, I was right. Um yeah, there's a scene in Funny Games that kind of takes advantage that kind of toys with the audience's expectations and desires. Doki Doki Literature Club does something very very similar and it fucked with me. But inside their their ending kind of it, it it adheres to the rules that is set in that universe. In, inside, its ending is crazy, but it also completely makes sense for all of the parameters that they set for that universe up to the point that that crazy ending happens. Like, once you get there, you're you're blown away, but it's also like, okay, they didn't say that this was impossible. Like, this is still, you know, it's still something that could have happened. Like, it's it's plausible in this world. Uh, and so, yeah, I, huh. but which one do I like more, man? Which one do I like more? I think what it comes down to is the thing inside filled me with more wonder and more like astonishment than Doki Doki Literature Club or Doki Doki Literature Club. I was starting to, I was starting to, I, here's the thing. I was, my guard was down with Doki Doki where that those intro moments, despite not being the most impactful and special. I was starting to fall into the rhythm. I was starting to find my find my waifus, <laughs> so to speak, and find the characters that I was latching onto most and start leaning myself towards them. And I could tell that that's what it wanted me to do because it immediately started manipulating that desire you have in these like visual novel type games. Um, Doki Doki Literature Club is a visual novel type game, by the way. Um, and so, yeah, it started immediately taking advantage of that as soon as it started, as soon as the game started to show its hand a little bit. Um, and it's just really, I don't know, it's just really difficult to, I don't, mm. you know what? I think I'm going to go for Doki Doki Literature Club here because if Inside didn't have that crazy ending, I don't think it would have been on this list just because inside was really cool the whole time, but I only thought it was cool because of what it all led to, you know, like it, it if there wasn't some big explosive thing at the end, because think about it like this. I played Limbo as well. Limbo is a game that I played all the way through. I beat it on Vita, actually. And that was another game that was very interestingly atmospheric, had a lot of weird places, a lot of weird set pieces, weird brutality to, uh, its playable child character. Uh, it was an, it was a very similar game to Inside, but its ending left me cold. It left me hollow. It left me like, okay, I beat it, I guess. Is there anything else special? Like the ending of Limbo didn't like blow me away. And because of that, Despite Limbo being a, you know, very good game, I don't really think about it much. I, I don't really, you know what? I don't even know if I've put it on my GG account. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, GG is like a video game app where you track what games you've been playing or have played and all that stuff. I don't even think I've tracked it on GG just because I don't think about Limbo ever. Um, we're about to check that right now. Um, and if I haven't, then I'm going to track it right now as I'm talking. But, oh. Wow. Okay. For a second there, like my little start bar at the bottom went away and I got really scared for a second. Um, but in any case, yeah, I think 
Yeah, Limbo didn't leave me with a big impression because it didn't stick the landing. Inside stuck the landing. So everything before that put a big impression on me. Oh, and I did track Limbo. So yeah, it's still on there. So yeah, I think Inside's great and all. But I think I own, I like it primarily due to the ending. Rodoki Doki Literature Club, even if it didn't have the crazy twist and everything, I think I would have been like, oh, that was pretty good. I, I, that was, that was interesting. You know what? That's not even true. They both have, I both love these mainly for their big twists. Um, but I think I was kind of digging Doki Doki more beforehand. I think that's what it comes to. Where Doki Doki, yes, I love these games almost exclusively for their big twists, but Doki Doki Literature Club, I was kind of down for its bullshit, so to speak. Um, where inside I was like, all right, they keep telling me something's great. They keep telling me something's great. And it kind of took a while for it to open itself up to me. Where Doki Doki Literature Club is the same case, but what I was getting, I was still like, oh, this is different. Okay. Let's see what this is. Um, by way of it just being different genres where I don't play visual novels. So Doki Doki Literature Club was a novel experience to me. Uh, no pun intended. Where inside was still a puzzle platformer. I've played puzzle platformers. I know what to expect. And then it gave me something to not expect. So yeah, we're going to go ahead and vote for Doki Doki Literature Club for battle number 475. That was a really long debate. I did not expect it to be that long. Um, so yeah, let's give it the click. Battle number whew, 476. Darksiders 2 versus Inside. Um, hmm. I kind of want to go with Darksiders 2 just because I think gameplay-wise, Darksiders 2 is the most consistent game I've ever played where the combat is really good. Exploration is pretty good. Uh, what is it? Puzzles are pretty good. Platforming is pretty good. Everything in that game is like really, really solid where... Oh my god, I knew that box was going to fall. I saw it hanging off the side of the wall or side of my table for a while. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, in any case, Darksiders 2 is just a... Everything in that game is probably an 8 out of 10. And that game overall is an 8 out of 10. But it's just a remarkably solid game. Inside is a 9 out of 10. But it's a 9 out of 10 mostly because its ending is a 10 out of 10. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to average it out which is the which is the hardest part where i can't split these games i can't split darksiders 2 up into like parts and be like oh well this part was weaker blah 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 and i know there was a lot of a lot of people say that the middle like the last third of the game or i guess the middle third of the game kind of had a lot of filler um and it was not not necessarily a lot of backtracking but it was like three back-to-back -back dungeons that were just really long and really drawn out and felt pointless in the overall narrative but it was fun content, so I really don't have much to say negative about it. Uh, where Inside was a, Inside was such a great authored experience. It, it had a beginning, it had an end, and it was very particular about how it, how it told its story. And, you know, it was really polished all the way down to each step in that game. It was really remarkable. Um, but it's going to be hard to pick Inside. Or Dark Shadows 2 here. I think Inside made more of an impact for me. Where Dark Shadows 2, I was like, oh, that's what like Dark Dark Siders 2 made me a fan of the franchise, yes. But Dark Siders 2 made me a, made me a fan of the franchise in the same way that what? What's the first Call of Duty I bought? Modern Warfare 2 made me a fan of that franchise. Where I love Call of Duty and I buy every one every single year, but it wasn't it, I don't buy it every year because I'm super excited to play 
a Call of Duty game. I buy it every year because I am like, all right, I know these are fun and I know whatever it's going to be, it hits a baseline of enjoyment and I'm going to play it. Where some Call of Duties I'm super enthusiastic about, other other ones I am indifferent about. I've, I've never actually hated a Call of Duty game. Like, I've never actually hated a Call of Duty game. It's either, it's, it's a range of absolutely adore to indifference. Um, where I think Darksiders 2 kind of made me a fan of that franchise in similar fashion. Where the first game I played and I was like, alright, that was pretty solid. And Darksiders 2 I picked up on sale because I was like, that first one was pretty solid. Darksiders 2 came out and I was like, oh, this is a consistent franchise where all of these are going to be pretty damn great. And I enjoyed Darksiders 2 a lot. <laughs> but I think I'm just trying to top myself out of choosing Inside. I think Inside's going to win. Yeah, Inside has to win because that ending is just so fucking mind blowing that I have to give it props. Darksiders Two is great, but when I think about that narrative, I actually watched. I've linked to it in a previous episode, so I'm not going to link to it here uh, because I don't want to make my computer melt. Uh, but I've taught, I've watched videos where they go over the plot of Darksiders Two, and I understand it. It's just. It took me a video. It took me watching a video for me to understand it because I was just so it, it wasn't told to me directly enough. Maybe I'm an idiot or maybe it's the game's fault. Um, maybe a little bit of both. But Darksiders 2's narrative just isn't in your face enough for me to feel like it's a big deal. So because of that, Inside's narrative is super minimalistic, but I love it. Inside's one of those games like both of these games are have narratives that I feel like I need to watch a video to understand. But inside, I wanted to look up a video to know what the fuck I just saw. Where Darksiders 2, it's like, I don't understand what happened. Where inside, it's like, I want to learn what happened. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I think inside's going to win. Despite all the great gameplay and all the good stuff in Darksiders 2 I just talked about, inside's going to have to get this W. So let's go ahead and click it. Battle number 477 at 91% sorted. Uh, Uncharted Lost Legacy. Versus Dark Siders Two. Okay, this one this one isn't actually hard. Uh, it's gonna be Lost Legacy here because for as once again I keep saying it's Dark Siders Two is probably I I don't want to say the most average because average has a negative connotation, but it's the most solid game I've ever played. Where I can't really shit on any aspect enough for me to be like oh but this is really bad like there's nothing really bad about darksiders 2 everything in there is like like i said good to great and i'll ride or die for that game in that way but lost legacy is my favorite uncharted game for a reason it combines it 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 learns from all of the great set pieces of the previous and oh excuse me from the previous uncharted games it condenses its its character development it condenses down into a smaller bite-sized package um, two badass women, which I've, I know it's the most generic thing in the world, but, oh, I love badass female characters. Like, I just do. I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, and I, I always dug Chloe, but Nadine, I really took a liking to in Uncharted 4 and to see her continuing to be a, a main character, so to speak, uh, was really cool in Lost Legacy. Some of the other characters that pop up, I thought were really cool without spoiling anything. And just gorgeous. It's just beautiful. Artistically, it's great. I really like the open world stuff. Uh, yeah, they just, they do a lot with the Uncharted formula where I think it makes it a better game overall and a more interesting game overall in a way where Uncharted 4 kind of had some faults. Lost Legacy, I can't really point to many of the faults because the stuff that it did good was so good. 
Uh, Dark Siders 2, I've already talked about all the things it does good, but I think Lost Legacy this does what it does better. And I'm going to have to give it up for Lost Legacy. Battle number 477 goes to Uncharted, Lost Legacy. Battle number 478, <laughs> Dark Siders 2 versus Uncharted 2 among thieves. Uh, this is another one for Uncharted 2, man. Uh, Uncharted 2 is the classic, dude. Uncharted 2 is, it's an iconic game, but I don't want to just vote for games because they're iconic. It's, it's more that the, the, how do we say this? Just the images of Uncharted 2 bring out visceral reactions in me, like different environments, different characters, different moments, like, Uncharted 2 feels like an adventure where Darksiders 2 feels like a video game. You know what I mean? Where I feel like I've went through some shit and did some stuff with Nathan Drake by the end of Uncharted 2. Where Darksiders 2, it's like, oh yeah, I got my level 33 scythes in, in Darksiders 2. Let me do my healing damage with some, and then let me pop a mana potion right in the middle and turn into my super duper form. Like, I love Darksiders 2. But it is a video game as video game. It embraces that to a degree, but it's a video game as video game. And Uncharted 2, I've glimpses of Uncharted 2 make it feel more than just a video game. It feels like, I don't know, it feels like the purest expression of what, of what these adventure type things are trying to be. Now I, now I say that and I do still prefer Lost Legacy, but Uncharted 2 is just like, this is what Uncharted is. Uncharted 2 is probably the the sh most shining example of what Uncharted is, where Lost Legacy is probably what the best example of what Uncharted can be. And that's why I like Lost Legacy more. But in this particular matchup right here, Darksiders 2 versus Uncharted 2, Uncharted 2 has to win, uh, just for all the reasons I've said. So let's go ahead and give it to up to Among Thieves. Battle number 479, Darksiders 2 versus control oh, oh, oh. um g willikers darksiders 2 versus control my guy i'm feeling you know what here here's uh gosh how are we gonna do this now i've talked about control control gameplay wise control really reminds me of a lot of the infamous games and a lot of these super powered games i've talked about um in the in these matchups already but like I've said previously, if Control feels like it was made for PC, where the aiming doesn't quite feel like it's made for a controller, it kind of feels a little bit off in that respect. Um, Darksiders 2 controls really well. Combat's really great. I think I'm going to give it to Control here, though, because while Darksiders 2, once again, is one of the most solid games I've ever played, Control is unique. Control is a special experience because it has a really special world, really unique characters. Just the concepts that Control plays with, I think, are worth celebrating and worth highlighting a lot more than really many of the concepts in Darksiders 2. Or a lot of the stuff, a lot of the lore and all that stuff in Darksiders 2 really just comes off as like, oh, here's, here's generic fantasy tropes and stuff like that. Or I don't think Darksiders 2 is generic. I actually think for people who like these like deep fantasy stories, I actually think it's pretty compelling. And the character development and death is actually pretty cool if you're really looking at it. But I'm not really looking at it. So to me, it comes off as just like, all right, fantasy, whoop, whoop. And so that's why I'm kind of more jazzed on Control overall. And because of that, I'm going to go ahead and give this vote to Control. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm really not going to feel too bad about it. Control's the one I'm going to pick for here. And yeah, it's just a great game, man. Control's such a cool game. Um, and art design, I think, is stronger in Control. Not by a wide margin, but I like the art design in Control a little bit more just because it's a lot bolder in its choices of colors and whatnot. Where Darksiders 2, because it is a fantasy game, it can only do so much while still pulling on those same uh, creative strings as other fantasy games have. It can only go so far while still evoking the emotions that you need to evoke if you're going to like, you know, the land of the dead and stuff like that. So, yeah, because of that, we're going to give it up for control for battle number 479. Battle number 480, Darksiders 2 versus Deep Rock Galactic. Huh. Hmm. I think we're going to go ahead. Oh, shit, man. Fuck, dude. This is really... I I really don't want to shit on Darksiders 2 to this degree, but I, it, this is making me, man. It's it's the game's fault. I, it's not my fault. Um, yeah, I think we're going to go with Deep Rock Galactic here. Just because I, I Darksiders 2, most solid game I've ever played. But Deep Rock Galactic, once again, feels unique. It feels like a special thing. It feels like, oh you have all these mechanics and it's left for dead meets minecraft and it's these dwarven miners that go down into different planets and mine a bunch of random minerals and kill a bunch of space bugs like that's super compelling super cool the art style is gorgeous the emphasis on lighting and keeping the environment lit while you're playing is super awesome it's just a, a lot of really cool ideas and really good progression systems. And I'm actually recording this on the day that Deep Rock Galactic went into the 1.0 release. So it is now a full release. You can buy it on Xbox or PC. And I, I think Deep Rock Galactic is just great, man. I think it is a really, really, really solid video game. And it's worth everyone's time. Where Darksiders 2, I would say the same thing. I think it's worth everyone's time. But Deep Rock Galactic feels like you're experiencing something you can't get anywhere else. Where Darksiders 2... You can get parts of that everywhere else. I think it's just done particularly well in in Darksiders 2. But you can probably get a better combat system by itself. Just the combat system. You can probably get a better combat system somewhere else. Slightly better, but still better. You can probably get better narrative somewhere else. Slightly better, but still better. You can probably get better platforming. You can probably do all of the individual things that Darksiders 2 does. You can probably get those better somewhere else. Even if the gap in quality between those two even if that gap isn't too big i still think there's a gap that's the thing where deep rock galactic you can't get that blend of a four-player co-op action with the mining capabilities with like you can find a carbon copy of darksiders 2 pretty easily you can't find a carbon copy of deep rock galactic that easily i think it's unique enough to stand on its own and because of that, we're going to go ahead and give it to Deep Rock Galactic. I love you, Darksiders 2. You deserve some props soon. Hopefully you get it soon because this is I'm kind of fucking you over right now, admittedly. So let's give it up for Deep Rock Galactic. Battle number 481. Ratchet and Clank 2016 versus Darksiders 2. Oh, wow. Okay, we're actually... I don't know if this is a crossroads, but these are similarly matched in that Ratchet and Clank 2016. It's, uh, hmm. Ratchet and Clank is the most immaculate, com the most immaculate creation of Ratchet and Clank, of all of the Ratchet and Clank ideas that have existed up to this point, where it's utilizing those ideas, cutting them up and putting them into a pot that is appealing to everyone, old fans, new fans, all that stuff. 
Darksiders 2 feels like it's kind of doing the same thing because it's taking all these mechanics from action games, uh, like the looting systems and the, the hit counters and the, you know, the wall running and the puzzle solving. It, it takes a lot of aspects of other games and mixes them to a really great way. It mixes them into a really satisfying pot of game that is Darksiders 2. But Ratchet and Clank does the same thing, but just for its own franchise, where Darksiders 2 does that for a bunch of games in a bunch of different franchises. And it tries to pull these elements off. But uh, I think we're going to have to do Darksiders 2 dirty again, because Ratchet and Clank 2016 is probably going to take this one home, because it's just so... It's too good, man. It's too good. And I wish Ratchet and Clank actually came with a photo mode. That would have been a great game for it because that game was gorgeous. And I was similarly intoxicated with that game where graphically it was perfect. But it was also like, yo, I would I would sit here and take pictures of everything if you let me. But for whatever reason, they never did it, I guess, because I guess because they just don't see Ratchet and Clank as being like that prestige game where you want a bunch of screenshots everywhere. But it is still a fantastic game. I'm going to give it up for Ratchet and Clank here because... Even if even if they both do the same thing and just like reuse a bunch of ideas from previous games, Ratchet and Clank is doing it from their own franchise, which has had what dozens, maybe a dozen games in that series already. Getting a second chance at these concepts, where Darksiders Two isn't getting a second chance at any of the concepts it's doing, it's just trying to do them in a different way or in a better way, which I still think is good. But Ratchet and Clank just executes it a lot better to me. Um, and yeah, I have to give it up to Ratchet and I love Ratchet and Clank already, but as we already know, so let's go ahead and click it for battle number 481. Battle number 482, Watch Dogs 2 versus Darksiders 2. I am so sorry to Darksiders 2. <laughs> like this is really fucked. Um, Watch Dogs 2 is going to win <laughs> because I was just thinking about Watch Dogs 2 and how high is it on this list? Because I really think it should be fairly high. Because I really do love those characters. I really thought the stealth gameplay in that game was pretty compelling. Uh, just the tone of it was super fun. Where it was all happy-go-lucky. And just really lighthearted in a way that I was I was super appreciative of. Because a lot of these games are... The, the way in which, like, in which Watch Dogs 2 is lighthearted is a really specific way. Where it's not wacky. And it's not silly like a Saints Row or a Sunset Overdrive. It's just like fun. Like it's still grounded... And nothing super crazy is happening in Watch Dogs 2, but it just invites you into this world. And yes, it is modeled after real life. Yeah, you still have all the bad things that come with reality, like, you know, assholes who jack, who jack up prices of medicine and who are really in love with obscure hip hop albums. Like you have stuff like that in this game and it addresses the tragedy in life sometimes, but it really doesn't like to dwell in that too long. It bounces back to the more positive tone and the more positive, upbeat attitude of these characters. And I really like that. I was super surprised to see, or not surprised, but I was super delighted to get a game like that. And that's another game that I have to run back one day and play that season pass content in. So yeah, Watch Dogs 2 is going to get the W here. All due respect to Darksiders 2. Hopefully you get some props soon, but we got to keep the train rolling with Watch Dogs 2. Battle, wow, wow, oh god, battle number 483, Darksiders 2 versus Infamous 1, once again, Infamous 1 wins, uh, it's just, I, I just enjoy the combat more, man, Infamous 1, it was just super satisfying, that Platinum experience was, 
not super gratifying. It was very gratifying, I'll say, because once you get to them blast shards and you only have, because the, the notorious thing about Infamous, 250 blast shards in an open world, kind of an open world destroyed New York type place. Very vertical, right? So you got these 250 blast shards and you can't find them in any way except just walking across them. They don't show up on the map. And the only way that you can see them on the mini map is if you hit your little click pulse. Like you can pulse and see like what's around you, similar to Batman Vision, but it comes out as like a little wave rather than an actual mode you hold. Um, and you're just looking for these blast shards. But once you have collected almost all the blast shards, when you're down to like, let's say your last like 50, maybe your last 25, somewhere around there, it gets impossible to find those last shards because you'll, you'll hit the little, uh, you'll click the little ring and then you'll see blast shards pop up on your, uh, mini map. But you don't know if that's on the third floor of a building. You don't know if it's underneath. You don't know if it's underneath the bridge. You don't know if it's on the side of a building. You don't know where it is. So that one dot on the map, it's like, I have to go up and down this entire building to do that. And then because you can't see the shards anywhere on the main map, those shards are only going to pop up if you're within a few feet of it. So it was super frustrating to try and get that last, uh, those last few blast shards. But hey, Infamous 1 was my first platinum trophy I've ever received. So it has a special place in my heart for me for that. And that those late nights of trying to stay up and find those blast arts while frustrating in the moment in, in retrospect, it's like, yeah, those were that put my foot to the fire and be, made me become someone who gives a shit about trophies pretty heavily now. So, yeah, infamous one's going to win this one. Sorry, Darksiders 2, but infamous one wins. Oh, my God, we're going pretty far with Darksiders 2 still getting just fucked up. Battle number 484, uh, 92% sorted now. Darksiders 2 versus Fallout 3. Huh. This one actually isn't too hard. Um, actually, I was going to say Fallout 3 for this one because for all the crap that I've given it gameplay wise, I still think its world, its aesthetic is still really cool. But the more I think about it, I think Darksiders 2 deserves to win here because while Fallout 3, I think, has a narrative that I was more engaged with, has uh, characters and an aesthetic that I'm more engaged with, when it comes right down to it, despite all that stuff in Fallout 3, I can't play that game today. Fallout 3 does not feel good to play today. Fallout 3 was very dated even at the time. Uh, it, it, Gameplay-wise, it just falls completely apart. Where Darksiders 2... Every aspects of every aspect of its gameplay holds up. The combat holds up. The platforming holds up. The puzzles hold up. Everything about its gameplay holds up. There isn't a single thing in Darksiders 2 that I feel aged poorly. And these games came out in the same console generation. And it's really hard to believe that. So I think I'm going to give it to Darksiders 2 here. I still love Fallout 3. I am surprised Fallout 3 isn't higher in this list because of my history with that series and how much I love that series. But Times have changed, man. I feel different ways about different things, and Fallout 3 is a casualty of one of those changing feelings. So let's go ahead and vote, finally, for Darksiders 2. Oop, did I hit it? No, I didn't. All right, there we go. I'm really trying not to double-click, because I will be really sad if I fuck around and skip something. Um, also, we're at 92% sorted. I want to check how long we've been recording the audio slash video oh 47 minutes in. oh my god okay let's continue um battle number 485 uh god of war 2018 versus fallout 3 
Um, I think we're going to vote for Fallout 3 here because while God of War, I, I've, I've talked about God of War to death at this point, but yes, the gameplay was cool. Yes, graphically, it was impressive. Yes, the narrative, while it didn't grab me that much, it's objectively great. Um, really only one moment grabbed me super heavily in God of War, which was the quote unquote return to the home. If you know what I'm, if you played the game, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I have a lot of issues with God of War just by way of me playing it too much. And Fallout 3, by the time I stopped playing that game, and I played it for a long time, I think I put at least 100 hours into Fallout 3, maybe 125. That sound, no, I put more than that. I probably put close to 150 hours into Fallout 3 because I remember 125 is about, no, I only put 75 hours into New Vegas. In any case, Fallout 3. Despite the issues with the gameplay itself, I still love that world. I still love that aesthetic. I still love that story. I thought that story was really cool. Um, what a really cool twist towards the middle uh, with uh, Tranquility Lane. If you know that mission, you know the one I'm talking about. Um, I just really love Fallout 3, man. I really do. And I really wish Fallout 4, e even though I think in retrospect, I'm thinking about Fallout 4 a little bit too harshly because I really did enjoy Fallout 4 and I just fell off for whatever reason that I don't know at this point. Um, but Fallout 3 is just so good. It's just the gameplay is just barely there. The gameplay is just not great at all. With God of War, God of War 2018, Gameplay's there. Gameplay's great, but even the gameplay, for as good as it is, gets you a little bit frustrated. Well, it's not the gameplay itself. It's actually the enemies. The enemies are just designed in a way where it's like, all right, this is a little bit too challenging, and it's pissing me off just a little bit too much, and it really got frustrating towards the end there. But overall, God of War is still great, but I, I think I have a more personal affinity for Fallout 3. Like, if this was God of War 3 versus Fallout 3... I think the choice would be harder, but I think Fallout 3 is going to win this one just because I got more personal affinity with that franchise and with that game. So we're going to go ahead and give it up for Fallout 3. Battle number 486, Uncharted 4, A Thief's End versus God of War 2018. Wow. Okay. Now, both of these games I have issues with for similar reasons. Uh, God of War 2018, I played it too much and I started to hate the aspects I didn't like. Uncharted 4... It was a little bit too long, and I started to resent its length. But the main difference here, God of War, I don't have too much cachet in its narrative and characters. Like, when I say God of War, I mean the franchise. Like, despite me playing every game in that franchise, I'm not sitting here like, oh, man, remember when Kratos had a brother? Oh, man, such a tragic story. Oh, man, remember uh, Calliope or Calliope, whatever the name of his daughter was. All that was like, okay, whatever. I, I don't play God of War games for the story, so when they made one that was focused on the story, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll pay attention, but I don't ultimately care that much. Or Uncharted 4, or the Uncharted series as a whole, is a franchise that I play in part because of the story. It's narrative is a big factor for me. So to get that payoff at the end of the game, even if it took maybe two to five hours longer than I feel like it should have, even if that's the case... I was super gratified by that payoff and just the way that they wrap up Nathan Drake's character in Uncharted 4, I think is excellent, is perfect. And, you know, couldn't, I, nothing in God of War is topping, topping Uncharted 4. That's the thing. Nothing in God of War can top any of the stuff in Uncharted 4 as far as the narrative is concerned. 
gameplay wise yeah they're both fun gameplay wise four starts to show starts to be a little bit thin because god of war at least has like upgrade systems and stuff and you know a lot of skill points and different gear slots and all this stuff but at the end of god of war it's like all right i've unlocked everything now i just gotta grind away at stuff where uncharted 4 there isn't anything to upgrade so it's like there's no progression system so when you make me play this game for five extra hours than i'm expecting to or wanting to it's like there's i'm literally not doing anything but just killing people it's not making me a better player it's not giving me new abilities upgrades anything like that so that sounds like i'm about to be super harsh on and try to for but no i'm still voting for it uh so yeah let's whoop. Okay, whew, I thought I clicked something and things went wrong. But no, nothing went wrong, thankfully. So yeah, Uncharted 4 is going to win this round. Battle number 487, God of War 2018 versus The Club. How reckless do I want to be today? <laughs> oh boy, we've talked about The Club. We've talked about The Club before. I don't think The Club came up on the last episode, actually. But um, if I guess if you haven't heard, uh, The Club is just a uh kind of racing game mixed with a shooter where think like kind of like resident evil mercenaries but you can walk and it's even more about the speed and it and it's just very fast and very fun uh and little known because no one ever played it uh, but in any case i really love the club i think the club is super satisfying as a game uh but i can't in good co- i can't in good conscience put the club over god of war 2018 God of War 2018, yes, I have issues with it, but the club is like, ah, oh, man, because I both look at these games, because even if God of War, you know, here's how we'll say this, what I got to think of something, I got to think of like a dish that is like well-made and maybe a little bit fancy, but I don't like, we'll say it like this, the club is like my favorite fast food. The club is like the best fast food I could eat. Like, oh, we just went. What's a good fast food place I like a lot? Let's do American Deli. I like American Deli. That's a regional place. If you're not from Atlanta or in the South or anything like that, they're basically, you know, you go there, you can get a Philly cheesesteak, you can get wings, you can get fried rice, you can get a bunch of random shit. Um, I like American Deli a lot. The club is like American Deli, where it's fast food. It's probably mostly trash, but and you're not going to eat it for that long. But man, the club is such good fast food and it tastes so delicious almost every time. And yes, sometimes you'll get annoyed with it. Sometimes it comes out wrong. Sometimes, you know, it's fast food. So it's going to be fucked up sometimes. But God damn, when it hits, it fucking hits. God of War is like like shrimp tartare <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. No, actually, perfect example. I just thought of something from my actual life one time. I went to RTX over there in Austin, Texas. Shout out to my family down there. Shout out to Mina, who who lives down there. That's one of my uh, personal friends that I met down there at RTX. Uh, God bless her. But in any case, one time I went to RTX. We went to this restaurant. Everyone got chicken and waffles. And it was like a kind of fancier place. It was like a little... It was a place where you eat brunch. <laughs> Instead of lunch or or breakfast, you eat brunch. And we were eating brunch. So I was like, oh, man, I am not bougie enough to know what to do here. So everyone got chicken and waffles. And I was like, I'm not going to be a basic bitch. They got shrimp and grits. I'm getting shrimp and grits. That shit came out. The heads were still on the shrimp, bro. I ain't know what the fuck to do. I was fucking shook. And you know what else? 
corn was in the grits. I had never had that. Who puts corn in grits? What it, it, What the fuck is this? Do corn even come inside of grits originally? I was tripping the fuck out. I was so upset. And I was looking at everybody because everybody got chicken and waffles. And it was literally just a really nice looking wheat waffle with some pretty delicious looking chicken tenders. And I was like, damn, I should have been a basic bitch. <laughs> I was so disappointed. But in any case... Yeah, God of War is that is that really extravagant meal that I had gotten with corn and the grits and shrimp or heads on the shrimp where I'm like, yo, I can't wait to eat the fuck out of the shrimp. But why is there a fucking head on it? And yo, these grits are pretty good. But why is there corn in it? Like every time you try to take a bite, you find a flaw that just bugs you a little bit, you know, where I'm not going to eat the heads. I can take them off, but it's like, why would you leave them on? And I eat corn. It's not like I'm allergic or some shit, but why would you put it in grits and mess up the whole consistency? That's how I feel about God of War where the club, bro, I'll eat that fucking, give me the fried rice with the five piece wing at American deli any fucking time of day. And I will be happy. So, you know what? Fuck it. I'm noticing the pattern in my speech and my enthusiasm <laughs> for each game. And the club's going to take this one. I am sorry, God of War. I am so sorry, God of War. God, people are going to beat my ass. But yeah, let's give it up for the club. <laughs> I can't believe I did that. Holy shit. <laughs> shit. Oh, boy. I am fucking reckless in any case. Uh, God of War 2018. Oh, for battle number 488, God of War 2018 versus Ape Out. Oh my god. Mmm. Let's see here. Now, God of War 2018 versus Ape Out. Now, I think I like Ape Out mostly for its style, mostly for its aesthetic. It does have pretty fun gameplay, but its gameplay is very one note. Uh... But I like it a lot. You know what? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to vote for God of War here. I think it's finally time to vote for God of War. Ape Out I love, and I think it's a great game. But Ape Out is a game I haven't beaten yet. God of War is a game that I've played all the way up and down. So even if I do have those issues, I clearly liked it enough. <laughs> and uh, I, mm, I just have more ape out is that game i want to root for ape out is that game that i want to win all the awards i want it to get the shout outs i want it to get the sales i want it to get all the respect it deserves because they don't make games like ape out dude they do not make games like ape out they don't make jazz they don't make video games based off of jazz they don't make games about rampaging monkeys they don't make games with this abstract art Ape Out is one of the most unique games I have ever played my entire life. But if I'm being real with myself, how much of it is me wanting the ride for Ape Out or legitimately loving Ape Out personally? Because I, I love Ape Out. I've played a good bit of it. Like, I know I love Ape Out. But how much of it is me wanting to be a cheerleader for Ape Out versus actually loving it? I think... I think I have to check myself before I wreck myself and admit that, admit that part about it where I do feel like I just really want to cheerlead for Ape Out. And I do because it deserves it. But God of War 2018, I think, is a game that I enjoyed more than Ape Out. 
Not as consistently. I didn't enjoy... I, we'll say it like this. The highs of God of War are higher than the highs of Hate Out. But that there isn't much of a gap between those highs. That is the thing. Even if God of War has so many more lows than Ape Out does, I still believe that God of War had slightly higher highs because there are some set pieces that blew me away. Like I said, that moment where you go back to the house blew me away. And the combat was more satisfying than not. So I have to give it up for God of War. It just... Now, this one is an actual good conscience, like, in bad faith, if I say, if I vote for Ape Out here, I feel like that's actually in bad faith, because it feels like I haven't earned, I haven't played enough Ape Out to feel like I can really earn that, to earn my love for that game. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and give it to God of War here. Ape Out, I still love. I think everyone should play it. If you're out there and you haven't tried Ape Out, try Ape Out. It's fucking phenomenal. But for now, let's go ahead and give it up for god of war 2018 for battle number 488 god that fucking hurt y'all that really hurt that hurt my soul but we're gonna have to continue um battle number 489 little big planet 2 versus ape out ah i think we're gonna go with little big planet 2 ape out once again it's a masterpiece in all the ways i just said but little big planet 2 just aesthetic like the vibe of that game hits with me more where it's all about it's positive it's positive vibes it's just really cute imagery uh very it just filled you with a lot of wonder or filled me with a lot of wonder when i was playing it and it's just so fucking endearing that i have to give some props to little big planet 2 here and plus sackboy is still one of my favorite characters in the entire playstation roster um, I love him. I love this game. I, I love Sat Girl as well. I, I think Little Big Planet 2 is just a phenomenal motherfucking game. Ape Out is a phenomenal motherfucking game as well. But hey, here's the edge. Little Big Planet 2. Damn near forgot the biggest selling point of it. You can make all types of shit. You can make games and all this stuff. And I know Dreams is probably the best place for that. But Little Big Planet 2 had some really cool remakes of like Dead Space and some other games like that. They're already starting to try and do first-person shooters in Little Big Planet 2. So, yeah, I have to give a shout-out to Little Big Planet 2. That's going to be the winner of this one. Ape Out, you deserve some props soon. You're going to get your props soon. But I have to wait for the perfect game. And Little Big Planet 2 is the perfect game, which is why I'm voting for it. All right, it's not perfect, but it's really good. So we're going to vote for it here. Battle number 490 at 93% sorted. Oh, my God. Shit is getting real. Um, Red Faction Gorilla versus Ape Out. <laughs> gorilla versus Gorilla. That should be, that should be one of the headlines for this one. So for this one, we, the title for this one should be, uh, Doki Doki versus Inside and Red Faction Gorilla versus Ape Out. Cause then you got the two games that are diametrically opposed and the two games that both have gorillas. Um, or apes. You know what I mean. Monkeys. Anyway, Red Faction Gorilla versus Ape Out. In the case of this one, I'm really thinking, what the fuck am I thinking, Emmett? I talk a lot of shit, but I need to take that shit or get off the pot. What am I going to do right now? What am I going to do today? Let's see here. I think I'm going to pick. If this was down to just gameplay, I would choose Red Faction Gorilla. Um, well, I've said multiple times this is just about gameplay. 
But clearly, there's a lot more going on in my head here. Red Faction Gorilla blowing shit up is super satisfying. And for that reason, I instinctively wanted to vote for it here. But I think Ape Out is just so much cooler. Like, I I think the aesthetics, the music, the art, all that stuff of Ape Out is so much more interesting than Red Faction Gorilla. Red Faction Gorilla, to a certain degree, is a guilty pleasure type game where it isn't special as far as its narrative. It isn't is it it isn't special in all of the obvious ways that we think of games being special. But Red Faction Gorilla is super compelling in that it's it's just really cool to blow shit up. And yeah, it's cool to blow shit up in any game, but the way destruction works in Red Faction Gorilla makes it particularly cool to blow shit up in. And I really am leaning towards that. Where even even in a game as notorious for blowing shit up as like just cause, Red Faction Gorilla eats its cake there because it's just more fun to do so in that game. Um God. I hmm. I wanna I think I should vote for Ape Out, but I keep thinking about blowing shit up in Red Faction and how fun it was and collecting all the scrap when a building falls down and just that whole thing. But then I think about the missions and like I didn't care about like I beat the game finally on PlayStation 4, but like that's not why I was playing that game. I didn't play that game to beat the game. I played it to fuck around and to do the missions and for that for the little side missions where you get to throw uh, explosive tanks at buildings and you try to do it in one hit and all this stuff. I really love those missions, man. I forget what they're called. Demolition missions, maybe? Where literally they just give you a bunch of, like, explosive barrels. You put them around. And you got, like, two shots of pistol ammo. And you got to just take those two shots at the right tank to cause a chain reaction that just blows up the whole building. I love shit like that. And is that better than Ape Out, though? It's not better than Ape Out, but do I enjoy that more than Ape Out? Ah. Uh... You know what? I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do something controversial. I'm gonna do something really fucking crazy. I've talked about already on this podcast that despite me not having beaten Ape Out, I've seen the ending of Ape Out, and I think that if I ever do get around to beating Ape Out finally, and I get to that ending, I think that ending would feel better than blowing shit up in Red Faction Gorilla. You have to go watch the ending. It isn't like some big plot twist ending. It's just so subtle, but it just makes you, it just gives you the certain feeling. Um, and I think that certain feeling that I would get at the end of Ape Out would surpass blowing shit up in Red Faction Gorilla. So I know it's controversial, but I'm a fucking do it because it's my show and it's my rules. I'm voting for Ape Out based off of a, a, a what is it? A retrospective, not retrospective based off of something I feel is going to happen in the future rather than an opinion I already hold in the present or past, <laughs> which is fucking crazy. Yes. But once again, fuck you. It's my show. I'm clicking ape out. Sue me. So yeah, 490, 93% sorted. Red Faction versus ape out. Ape out wins. Battle number 491, Red Faction Gorilla versus Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. Um, This one's easy. Red Faction Gorilla is going to win this one. Uh, I've talked about Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. It's great. It's one of my favorite multiplayers in that franchise. But Modern Warfare has already surpassed it. So, you know, what you going to do when they come for you? Bad boys, bad boys. I'm going to stop the spit. Um, yeah, Red Faction Gorilla is more fun to blow shit up in Red Faction Gorilla than it is to get kills in Modern Warfare 3. Like, if I ever got a nuke in Modern Warfare 3, maybe we'd have a conversation. But 
even the highest kill streak I've ever gotten in Modern Warfare 3 was not as satisfying as tearing down a whole building in Red Faction Guerrilla. So we're going to give it to Red Faction Guerrilla. Battle number 492, Gone Home versus Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. Um, there's Now, there's three Call of Duty games on this whole list. It's Modern Warfare 3, it's uh, Modern Warfare 2019, and it's Infinite Warfare. And, oh, wait. My, uh, World War II is on this list as well. I almost forgot. Those are the four Call of Duty games on here. Of those games, World War II is beneath Gone Home, and there's one more that's beneath Gone Home. Modern Warfare 3. Modern Warfare 3 for sure is beneath Gone Home. Um, Gone Home had such an impactful narrative to me. I have to give it its props pretty high on the list. Modern Warfare 3 was a cathartic and fun uh, single-player campaign, and the multiplayer I played for many, many hours. But Modern Warfare 3 just felt like... Huh. How would I say this? Modern Warfare 2... Or not Modern Warfare 2. Uh, Call of Duty World War 2 and Modern Warfare 3 are both entries in the franchise that are just one of the best versions of previously tread territory. Where Modern Warfare 3 is the third Modern Warfare game. We, we already know this formula. We already know these guns. We already know these kill streaks. We're super intimate with all the aspects of this game. And this is just the best iteration of that. In, in the case of World War 2, it's really just going back to the drawing board, not drawing board, just going back to the well with uh, the stuff that they did in World at War and just iterating on, those, iterating on those ideas and just using all of their experience from even the previous Call of Duty games before uh, Call of Duty 4, where they were still in World War II, just really taking advantage of a lot of those concepts and really delivering a modern version of that style of combat. And I really enjoy that. Infinite Warfare is where they took it and said, not necessarily infinite warfare is where they made it matter in the campaign because you if you notice modern warfare 3 fun campaign great ending but isn't special in its own right world war 2 i can't even say it's a great campaign it's just super derivative and super generic to me um but in infinite warfare that's when they totally switched it up and made it more about a character-based narrative and story and a really strong one at that and gave it this really heavy, grandiose tone that I thought was... Maybe not grandiose. Grandiose might not be the best term. But it gave it this really grounded tone that I really enjoyed, despite it being a space opera. Um, and what's the other one? Modern Warfare 2019, it really just took a really dark and a bleak outlook on its uh, world in that narrative. And gameplay-wise, it made a lot of small innovations, yes, or not innovations, but small tweaks to the Call of Duty formula that made that game play a lot better, have a lot better support, have a lot better, um, what's it called? A lot better progression. Uh, and it just tweaked these little parts that people weren't asking for changes in it, but they made changes and it improved the game, in my opinion, despite me not even wanting for these changes. So yeah. That's all to say, Gone Home is going to win over Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. Uh, it's, it just is what it is, man. Gone Home is one of those games that impacted me heavily, really, really heavy. Um, even if I had to play it at, like, what, 15 frames per second on my old laptop, I still enjoyed that game a whole lot. So, yeah, let's give it up for Gone Home. Battle number 493, Resistance 3 versus Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. Wow. Um... I think we're going to give it up to Resistance 3 here, uh, mainly because of its single-player campaign. That single-player campaign sticks with me 
quite a bit more than the Modern Warfare 3 campaign, where I enjoyed that campaign, like I said, but it's really just the ending that sticks with me. Where Resistance 3, man, I remember the train level was really cool. I remember, you know, going to Pittsburgh was really cool. The underground mines was really cool. Uh, eventually, when you get to New York and the snowy environments and stuff, that was really cool. Uh, the parts in the prison were really cool. Uh, Resistance 3 was just a really neat and interesting campaign that I just really enjoyed. I really liked that campaign. And while the single player or while the multiplayer was very bare bones and it almost felt like Resistance 3 Resistance 3 had a tacked on multiplayer mode, despite that franchise kind of being defined by its multiplayer with certain entries, that campaign, they you could tell they put a lot of effort and time into that campaign and it paid off because it was great. Um, so yeah, let's give it up for Resistance 3 here. It makes a more, it's more unique than Modern Warfare 3, and it makes more of an imprint on me, so we're giving it a click. Battle number 494, Metro Exodus versus Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. I think this one's also going to go to Metro Exodus. This is another game where I haven't beaten Metro Exodus, but even in the time I've spent with it up to this point, it's it's a lot more unique than Modern Warfare 3. Uh, it Just the way you can treat NPCs, you don't have to shoot every single enemy you see. Uh, the mutant monster designs are pretty cool. The weapon designs are really cool and really, you know, just off kilter and still engaging in that way. Um, just the way you interact that world is really special at times. The way you interact with characters is really cool. There's just a lot of little things to appreciate and love about Metro Exodus, where Modern Warfare 3 is very, I, I, I hesitate to say generic, even though that's probably an appropriate term to use in this scenario, but it, it just does what it says on the tin. Like, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, you can imagine what that game is, and when you play it, you're right. You find out that you are correct in your assumptions. Metro Exodus, you have to have a pretty damn vivid imagination to imagine how that game is. And when you play it, it really does actualize its world, its characters, its gameplay, and all of its other little touches. It actualizes all that stuff very effectively. And I really need to get back to it and beat it because it's great. So let's go ahead and give it up for Metro Exodus here. Battle number 495, A Short Hike versus Modern Warfare 3. Um, yeah, we know what's up. A short, a short hike is going to win this one. Um, we're talking about unique versus generic. Short hike is super unique. Um, and it has really fun movement abilities, which I've talked about multiple times. I am a sucker for really satisfying movement abilities. Um, and it has a pretty sweet story, minimalistic story, but pretty sweet story and a really banging ass art style. I really love the art style in a short hike. So we're going to give it the vote here. Um, I keep wanting to say all due respect to Modern Warfare 3, but I don't know if it's going to get respect here. We're about to see. It's going to be a, a tough day for it if things shake out how I think they might. But in any case... A short hike is going to win this one. All right. Battle number 496, Sleeping Dogs versus Modern Warfare 3. I'm I'm feeling Sleeping Dogs right here, y'all. Here's the thing. I think Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 is on this list for a similar reason that Darksiders 2 is. Where Darksiders 2 is one of the most solid games of all time, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 is probably the least flawed Call of Duty game I can think of where I don't have a big overwhelming issue with any of Modern Warfare 3, and that's probably why it sticks out in my mind so fondly. But none of the things it does, I'm like the most like, oh my God, like the whole perk system, or not perk system, what, what they call them proficiencies. They had proficiencies for weapons. 
that mechanic never got carried on to the other games for good reason. It was cool, but didn't really add nothing new to anything special, and it was implemented in other ways in the next games. Um, even the campaign didn't really introduce anything new, per se. Uh, yeah, it's just Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 is just another Call of Duty game, but it was a really good one, and that's why it's on here. Where Sleeping Dogs feels like a very... Sleeping Dogs feels a lot more unique. Thinking about the combat, just the gunplay was really... The gunplay was satisfying as well as the melee combat. That's actually very impressive to be able to pull off both of those. Have a, a pretty lightweight, admittedly, but have a parkour system. And have the system where in an open world game, you can interact with the environment in this really very specific way. Which, if they ever made a next-gen version, or not version, but next-gen sequel to Sleeping Dogs... Allowing for interactivity in all types of open world environments like that is just really cool, really compelling. And I think it was really cool to see that happen in a last gen game, which is crazy to think about. Uh, yeah, I'm going to vote for Sleeping Dogs here, even if I can't remember too much of the narrative of Sleeping Dogs, which I don't think it's because it was bad. I think it's just because my brain can only remember so much. Um, I still enjoyed just playing Sleeping Dogs. I almost platinum that one. That's another one where it got down to the wire and then it was like, oh, these challenges are hard. I'm just going to stop here. But I do adore Sleeping Dogs. So let's give it a W here. Battle number 497 at 94% sorted. We are really making some progress, y'all. Not that we're going fast. It's just approaching the end. We're approaching the motherfucking end. This is weird. Um, in any case... Bioshock versus Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. Um, God. Now, my biggest issue with Bioshock is that it's not Bioshock 2. I say that every time it pops up. And those gameplay mechanics and whatnot are not here. But I think I have to give it up for Bioshock here. Because even if it's not Bioshock 2, the gameplay is still fun. Um, it's just, it, yeah, it's a little bit neutered in comparison. But the combat is still fun. And using those or abusing those big daddies with your powers was always a blast um the decisions you make with the little sisters and everything that was cool the big twist that everyone talks about when they talk about bioshock was pretty cool um at the time and even recently it's still like yo that was that hit um but yeah i know i know people say it falls apart at the end because you got the big boss fight here's the thing that boss fight it's it takes you out of it because up to that point you're like oh this is a ma this is like unlike any other game i've played and then you get to that big boss fight at the end and it's like oh this is like every game i've played and then it just like kind of sucks the wind out of your lungs but for me that big daddy whole that whole exchange where you're dressing up as a big daddy that was the dumbest shit in the world it's like n you're not fooling anybody man you just put a screen over your face that really took me out of the game and that's when it felt like a fucking video game and i was like yo this is dumb but people don't talk about that part a lot um but bioshock is still pretty good um overall i still feel like where i look at bioshock 2 as a classic where i look at bioshock 1 as a flawed classic modern warfare 3 i don't look at as a classic i think it's just a really solid game like i said it's just very solid so because of that even if bioshock 1 is flawed in my opinion i think i'm gonna have to still vote for it I still love and respect Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, but Bioshock is on another level. So let's give it the motherfucking Bioshock. Battle number 
498 binary domain versus modern warfare 3 damn we really dragged call of duty way down because actually binary domain might be way up because we voted for it a couple of times in matches i don't know where it's at right now but i feel like we're in the 50s or somewhere around there in any case binary binary domain versus call of duty modern warfare 3 um i think i'm still gonna vote for binary domain here just because i I like its tone, man. I like how it lulls you in and it's like, oh, we're just generic fan. We're just generic sci-fi people. You know, let's shoot some robots. Hoorah. And then the more you play, the more it's like, yo, we're fucking crazy. <laughs> this world's fucking wacky and silly and just dumb. And I really love Binary Domain, man. That game goes hard and pe- not enough people played it. Not enough people know about it. Uh, hopefully with all this Yakuza love that people are digging, hopefully people get a reason to check out binary domain i really do think they should remaster binary domain and advertise heavily that it's made by the same uh, i think creator as the yakuza series because this is like a little offshoot he did that wasn't related to yakuza but just you know a different project to work on and it came out really well man binary domain is a fucking cult classic and i love it but there's no but here i think it's gonna win here Even if I think the gameplay in Call of Duty is better than the gameplay in Binary Domain, it doesn't matter because I like the characters and the world and everything more than Modern Warfare 3. So let's give it up for Binary Domain here. Oh boy, okay, we're getting into some classics again. Uh, Battle number 499, Enslaved Odyssey to the West versus Call of Duty, Modern Warfare 3. Wow, okay, um... This one's difficult. Now, I've talked about Enslaved. I really think it's artistically gorgeous, unique. Uh, I think the the adventure was really cool, really compelling. I, I think the narrative itself is pretty minimalistic in my memory, but I still remember digging it a lot. It's just that ending that it just doesn't stick the landing on the ending where it's trying to be ambiguous, but it doesn't. It's not ambiguous. And it's like some game, some things are ambiguous. Some endings are ambiguous because they give you an answer, but you don't understand the answer. Enslave is ambiguous because it doesn't give you an answer. <laughs> like, you, you, you keep thinking something's going to happen, and then something happens, but the answer doesn't... An- they give you... It's like this. Sometimes when, you, when you're watching a movie and you expect it to end a certain way, you're like, okay, one plus one is two. So you're expecting two to be the next thing that comes out of their mouth. Okay, hopefully that didn't mess up Audacity because I just had I, I had the start bar disappear on me again and it did it again. I am super scared. I hope things aren't falling apart. I don't know what to make of this. I am so close to the end of this match. Please do not crash. Please do not crash. Please do not crash. Please wait while I... Oh, I don't want to click anything either. I'm so scared, y'all. <gasps> what just happened? Okay, we've been recording this whole time, so that's that's good. All right. It it minimized Chrome, so I thought everything was dead. I am very scared, everyone. I am very scared. I'm going to continue to talk while I wait for Chrome to recognize that my mouse is over. Okay, okay. I think we're fine, guys. I think we're fine. Um in any case, Enslaved Odyssey to the West with that ending, when you when you watch the story and the story is saying one plus one the whole time, you're expecting at the end they're going to say two, right? This one didn't say two. It said fish. And it expects you to either accept fish and just don't think about it anymore 
or try to manipulate fish into how it can equal two. <laughs> and I hate endings like that. Like, if you're going to give me a, an ambiguous ending, just say, don't do it. Don't say, here's something completely different. Instead, do, well, do they really, instead of one plus one equaling two, why does it need to equal two? Like, start planting those seeds in ahead of time. Start planting the seeds of, does it really need to be two? How about three? What about four? How about point two? How about point three? Like, start setting those seeds in way earlier than just putting something random at the end. That's just my opinion, and I know that's personal taste, and I'm sure I'm sure there's people who love the ending of Enslaved. But that ending really took the wind out of my sails. But even if that is the case, and Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 has a great ending to its narrative, but even if that's the case, I still think that adventure was still cool, still really satisfying the playthrough just a lot of cinematic flair all around in Enslaved Odyssey to the West. I think that game is great in so many ways. Um, I can't... Ah, this is really hard. Because I can... I feel like there's specific things about Enslaved Odyssey to the West that I love. And in Modern Warfare 3, it's less that there's things in that game that I'm like, oh, I really like that. I really like that. I really like that. It's just there's nothing I hated, you know? So it's kind of hard to prove a negative. Or prove a lack of a negative, I guess, in this case. So because of that, I'm going to vote for Enslaved Odyssey to the West here because there's specific things that I'm like, oh, that was great. That was great. That was great. Or in Modern Warfare 3, it's just an absence of things that I dislike. So, yeah, we're going to go ahead and vote Enslaved. Battle number 500. Guys, we got all the way to 500 battles in this motherfucker. This is crazy. I'm excited. Let's keep going and delay this podcast even longer hopefully not so yeah let's see battle number 500 spec ops the line versus call of duty modern warfare 3 is another case where we can't prove there's nothing super special about well i said call of duty modern warfare 3 has a good ending and i really do like that ending but that's such a small fry thing compared to what spec ops the line is man spec ops the line for the entire like second half of that game is fucking crazy, and I couldn't believe what I was playing, and I thought it was super cool. So, yeah, I think Spec Ops Line is gonna win this one. Like y'all know what Spec Ops Line is, y'all have heard about it, y'all know why it's a classic, y'all know why people love it. It's a great game, and I know people say that its gameplay is generic. I I enjoyed the gameplay. Um, so you know, besides that, just the narrative is really compelling, really fucked up and just very interesting man they they don't make games like spec ops the line either those games just don't get made anymore and i hope we see not a once again i don't want to see a re a re uh, a sequel to spec ops the line but just another game with that type of style that type of narrative just so, like a heart of darkness type stuff is just really cool to put in video games and i'd like to see more games try it so in the meantime i'm still gonna vote for spec ops the line here for battle number 500 Battle number 501. Ooh, Destiny 2 versus Modern Warfare 3. Wow. Uh, man. I think... It, uh, Destiny 2, narratively, don't care. Don't give a shit about anything in Destiny 2, narratively. But gameplay-wise, as I've talked about, just spectacular effect. Like, on PC, I want to make sure we're clear on this. On PC, all of these praises apply. 
spectacular effects really the high frame rate on pc allows just the pace of combat to just be so much higher so much more satisfying so much more rewarding that gambit mode is just excellent 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 whoever thought of that gambit mode just give them a motherfucking raise because that is just a brilliant brilliant and just incredibly fun mode um and it's super rewarding to get through the battle pass in that game now that they've switched to the free-to-play model and everything that game was that game wasn't as rewarding in the past as it is now. Like collecting your bounties and everything and just just banking a bunch of XP and just getting through these ranks super quickly. It, it's just really fun. And Destiny 2 is a great game for that. Even if I haven't played in a while, it's a great game for that. Um, Modern Warfare 3 is a game I feel like I played mostly because I play every Call of Duty and I enjoy them all. But even But in Modern Warfare 3, that totally felt like in retrospect, I'm saying it feels like a game that I played mostly because, you know, it's another one of these. For Destiny 2, I wasn't like super engaged in the Destiny 2 community. Like the only reason I had Destiny 2 near launch is because it came with the white PS4 Pro. And I really wanted a PS4 Pro, but I said I'm not getting one until I can get it in a cool color. Then Destiny 2 came out and I was like, all right, I'm getting that one because it's in a cool color only to regret it very soon after because Spider-Man had that PlayStation 4 Pro. But in any case, um, I really do think Destiny 2 is a really, really, really fun game. Really great game. And its gameplay is a lot more unique than Modern Warfare 3, certainly. So because of all of that, I'm going to give it to Destiny 2 here. Huh, for Battle 501, it goes to Destiny 2. Ooh, wait, calm down, computer. What you doing? All right, I had the little loading thing next to my mouse. I was about to flip, but let's click Destiny 2. Battle number 502, Fat Princess versus Modern Warfare 3. Wow. Now, we've talked about Fat Princess. I think just the concept of it is really unique. The different gameplay balance with all of its classes and whatnot is super unique. Art style is really cool. I'm still waiting. I'm waiting to find a game that is just middle of the road, that is just like, Oh, I, I like this game, not because it's spectacular in certain aspects, but because it's just not bad in any aspect. I'm waiting for that game, man. I am waiting for that game. Fat Princess, I don't think is that game because if it, it, for all the flaws that Fat Princess might have, it ain't average. There ain't none about Fat Princess that's average. There ain't none about Fat Princess that's generic. I can't say that about Fat Princess at all. So because of that, we're going to give it up for Fat Princess here. Uh, battle number 502 goes to Fat Princess. Please let me click Fat Princess without breaking. Thank you. All right. Battle number 503, Metro Last Light versus Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. Another case where Metro Last Light, more unique game, more, you know, it, it's just a more special game to me um, where the aesthetics of its world, the weapon animations and just the weapon models themselves are just really distorted and funky in a way that I think is cool. Uh, I just really think that universe, that atmosphere of Metro Last Light is just so tangible that I really enjoy being in it. For Modern Warfare 3, it's like, okay, I'm a shooter dude. I'm a military boy. Time to fuck shit up, you know? So it is what it is on that one. But Metro Last Light has to win this one. So let's go ahead and give it a click. Oh, wow. Wow. We have made it through like 2% while it's still on Modern Warfare 3. This is scaring me. Battle number 504 at 95% sorted, which is technically halfway through this episode at an hour and 30 minutes in. This is going to be a long one. I am sorry, but you guys deserve it. Um, so let's go. Gears of War 2 
versus Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. Actually, I think this is it. I think this is the one. Modern Warfare 3, I think, is going to win this one. Because Gears of War 2, I still think Gears of War 2 is great. Um, but for the set pieces that I like in it, and for the things that I like about Gears of War 2, I still do believe that it's not... It's... Hmm, how do I say this? There's something about Gears of War 2 that just feels generic. Where I, I enjoy it. Like I said, it's it's the game that got me interested. Like, I played the first game of Gears of War, and I was like, all right, this game is interesting. I'll keep playing. Then I played Gears of War 2, and I was like, yo, this game is pretty awesome. I'm going to play all of these. But there's something about Gears of War 2 where I still enjoy it. And in the moment while I was playing it, I was like, yo, this is fucking great. There's something about Gears of War 2 where it just feels unabashedly like every other game out there. And I know that's because it set the blueprint for cover-based shooters. I have played, like, Binary Domain was on here. Binary Domain took from the Gears of War handbook. Spec Ops Line took from the Gears of War handbook. Uncharted, all of these Uncharted games took from the Gears of War handbook. Gears 5, which is way up on this list, took from the Gears of War handbook. Um, so it's really unfair to say Gears of War 2 kind of feels generic, but it does. It feel At times, Gears of War 2 can feel like those, like, game loft titles, you know the games I'm talking about. Or not Gameloft, the, um, what is it, the Psy Entertainment titles? Where, you know those really, like, you'll see them on Steam every now and then. They'll be, like, 74 cents, and then it's the whole game. And then you'll look up reviews, and it'll be weird, because it'll be like, oh, this game is either super trash because it's super boring and dull, or some people are like, oh, this game actually runs very well, and it has, you know, nice graphics and all this stuff, and... It 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 pl it's just a shooter, like it's a pretty basic shooter. But you know, if you just want to shoot some shit, it's fine. And the the Steam reviews are always mixed. It's like those types of games where it's like just some. It's like gems or not gems of war. Alien Rage. Look up Alien Rage if you want to see a game that really fits the mold. I'm thinking Alien Rage is that game where that game feels like a fucking mobile game. It's not a mobile game and actually runs very well on PC and actually looks pretty great. But man, it's just like, here's some space assets. <laughs> and here's some, here's your little shooty gun. And here's some aliens to murder. And just go get, get your points and go on with your life. That's what Gears of War 2 can feel like at times. Where I'm not sure if I felt that way while actively playing it. But when I think back to that game, it kind of all mushes together because of that. Because it's just the aesthetic of that world. And just the universe of Gears of War just feels like standard sci-fi military universe, you know? It just all blends together in my head. Where Gears of War 5 doesn't have that problem because instead of it being about the instead of it being about the gears, it is about these names. It is about Kate. It is about uh what's his name? I want to say CJ, but I don't think that's his name. Uh the black character who's voiced by the one guy who was also in Battlefield Hardline. I forget his name. Also, it's about markets. It's about these names. It is about specific names, specific people with specific backgrounds, specific desires, and all this stuff. That's why I like Gears 5. Gears of War 2 has those character moments with, you know, with, uh, is it not Marcus, with Dom and his wife. It has certain character moments and stuff like that, but it's just not overall as a package. While I do like that game a lot, it kind of just molds together in my head where Modern Warfare 3 is also generic, but it doesn't mold together in my in, in my head in such a way 
where there's just something about Gears of War 2 where it just feels like Space Marine, hoorah, the game. Where Modern Warfare 3 is also like military shooter, hoorah, the game. But I there's something about it, man. Maybe it's just that it's more fun to just play moment to moment than Gears of War 2. But there's something about Modern Warfare 3 where it felt really fun to where I forgot about the hoorah, just genericness of it for more moments than I did in Gears of War 2. And because of that, we're going to go ahead and vote for Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 here. All due respect to Gears of War 2, but Modern Warfare 3 is overdue for a W, honestly. It's overdue, so let's give it a W and click it here. Wow, battle number 505. Battle, I was going to say Battlefield, that's not what I need to say. Um, Battle 505 at 95% sorted, Gears of War 2 versus SteamWorld Dig 2. And I'm sorry for the clicking you probably heard because I realized I was shaking my legs and nervousness a lot. So I'm trying not to do that because I'll shake the whole desk. Um, Gears of War 2 versus SteamWorld Dig 2. SteamWorld Dig 2 is going to win. Uh, just because I think the the range of motion you get once you finally get a bunch of the upgrades in SteamWorld Dig 2 is probably one of my favorite movement systems in any two-dimensional game, at least. Uh, super satisfying. And just the... The slow grind of mining for minerals, going up top, selling them, coming down, mining for more minerals, expanding your backpack. I really just dug that whole gameplay loop. And that's just fun for me. It's really relaxing. And then combat isn't that complicated and you get better at it as you play. It's just SteamWorld Dig 2 is just a really fun game and one of my favorite Vita games that I've ever played, honestly. Um, so yeah, let's give it up for SteamWorld Dig 2. Battle number 506, Static versus Gears of War 2. Static is going to win here. Uh, Static is a very unique VR title. Uh, just, it's a puzzle game, but it's a puzzle game unlike anything I've ever seen. And it sticks out a lot in my head. So we're going to go ahead and give it up for Static. Uh, all due respect to Gears of War wins. Battle number 507. Oh, Gears of War 2 versus Saints Row 2. Wow. Um, these are both third person shooters. But I think I'm going to give it to Saints Row 2 here, y'all. And I, I feel like I've talked shit on Saints Row 2 pretty hardcore in the past. But I'm going to give it to Saints Row 2 here because, like, you talk about the narrative and the characters. I remember the shit that happened with Shondi and her ex-boyfriend. I remember the shit that happened with um, with Johnny Gat and his girlfriend. I remember the, the, the moments in that campaign that really struck a chord and have an impact on me and are part of that franchise forever i remember those moments in Saints Row 2 where in gears of war 2 yes i've told i've talked about the moments that i remember but most of a lot of that game feels like it all blends together or in saints row 2 yes i don't remember a lot of the more mean like boring missions of just you know like the busy work missions like i don't remember a lot of that stuff i know they existed but i just don't remember it that's not what comes to my mind what sticks out in saints row 2 are the really cool moments where even the cool moments in gears of war 2 i had to be reminded of like if you remember last time we talked about gears of war 2 or last episode where it came up i had to remember the little worm that you got swallowed by and walking through that and all of the things you did in there and how cool that was i had to really think hard about that so even the cool stuff i like in gears of war 2 isn't fresh on my mind. And I played Gears of War 2 more recently than Saints Row 2. So what's up with that? Um, but Saints Row 2, I really like it's fun to play too. Saints Row 2, the upgrading systems and everything like that, it's just a lot more gratifying in Saints Row 2. So we're going to give it up for Saints Row 2. Gears of War 2, still love and appreciate you. But 
you know what it is. So yeah, let's go ahead and give it to Saints Row 2. Battle number 508, PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale versus Gears of War 2. Wowzers! We're giving it to All-Stars, y'all. We're giving it to All-Stars. Um, I know Gears of War 2 is a, probably a better game in a lot of people's opinions, but All-Stars is like like hype incarnate. Like I know overall PlayStation All-Stars is a very flawed game, but you want to talk about the epitome of hype for me personally it's very it's playstation all-stars man like when that game was announced and the lead up to that game it was like you know i can't be more excited for anything in my entire life and even if the game wasn't completely to up to par i'm still glad it exists and i i thirst every day for some more a new playstation all-stars and i'll i've said it before I don't know if I've said it on this podcast, but specifically this week, because there's been a lot of weird talk about PlayStation All-Stars where one of my friends mentioned it organically on Twitter, and I started talking about it, and I keep seeing people mention PlayStation All-Stars. It's really gotten me, like, tingly. Like, is something about to happen? Are we going to get news? Like, it's not that I have any real reason based off of any real evidence, but, like, I just feel the spirit in the air of PlayStation All-Stars, and it's really making me is making me tingle man i've i've gotten emotional many times like i have cried about playstation all-stars at least three times in my lifetime and specifically the thought of a sequel like the thought of a sequel to playstation all-stars battle royale where everything is fixed and everyone loves the game as much as i do that thought brings me to tears a lot and i that is a stronger emotional connection than anything in Gears of War 2. So because of that, we're going to vote for PlayStation All-Stars. <laughs> I'm a ridiculous person, I know, but, you know, it is what it is. We're going to continue. Uh, battle number 509, Gears of War 2 versus Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Uh, yeah, this is another case where I like Assassin's Creed Syndicate. I like those characters. Free running is on point. Animations were great. Combat was super satisfying. I really like the combat in Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Um... And yeah, I just think I just think that game is great. People really sleep on that game, but it's one of my favorite in the franchise. And I think it's better than Gears of War 2 by a decent margin. So let's go ahead and give it up for Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Wow, okay. Uh battle number 510. Gears of War 2 versus Assassin's Creed 2. Uh-huh. Wow. Mm. I think the things I love about Assassin's Creed 2. I am very enthusiastic about like the like the challenge not challenge tombs but the little tombs you have to climb up through where there's no combat it's literally just climbing and platforming. I really like that stuff in Assassin's Creed 2 and I'm very enthusiastic about how much I love that stuff. Uh same thing with the with your little not your house, your shop. What is it called? Your little village or town or city, however you want to call it, where you upgrade it and you buy different stores and they generate revenue and I I was really into that system. I thought that system was really cool. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed Assassin's Creed too. I thought the stuff with the Apple of Eden at the end was really cool. All the stuff that I like about Assassin's Creed 2, I am higher on than all the stuff that I like about Gears of War 2. Like, I still like Gears of War 2 a lot, but Assassin's Creed 2 is where I was like, yo, this is fucking dope. And I think that's, I think both of these games are responsible for me really, really being intrigued by these franchises and really going in on playing their entries. So yeah, let's go ahead and give it up for Assassin's Creed 2. Paddle number 511 at 96% sorted. 
guys, we are getting close. Oh my fucking god. Gears of War 2 versus Rise of the Tomb Raider for battle number 511 at 59 or 59. 96% sorted. Um, I think I'm going to hit with Rise of the Tomb Raider here, where I think the narrative of Gears of War probably had me more. But Rise of the Tomb Raider is just so fucking fun. Like the set pieces, the the visual thing, just the visuals that they deliver to you in Rise of the Tomb Raider is so cool. And I feel like the 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 part in Rise of the Tomb Raider where you're underwater and you're just stealth killing people from these holes in, under the ice. I really think that scene is one of the greatest scenes of last generation. Like just that combat encounter. It's not really combat because you're just literally stealthing guys into the water and just drowning them. But I thought that was fucking awesome. And I think that was really great. And I really do feel like Rise of the Tomb Raider is just an Uncharted game that doesn't have as compelling of a story, doesn't have as good a characterization, and is trying to make up for that by being, ooh, excuse me, by being very open, having these side quests, having this open worldish structure is trying to make up for the lack of like really great narrative stuff that you see in a, in a Uncharted type game, but it does give you really great adventures things like really great set pieces some really great environment and some just really good combat encounters man they know what they're doing in rise of the tomb raider they know how to make a great game but narrative and all that other stuff that's the that's the stuff that really makes it stick out in your mind but be, even if that is the case i think it's i think rise of the tomb raider is more fun to play than gears of war 2 so i'm gonna go ahead and give the dub to rise of the tomb raider here all due respect to Gears of War 2, but Rise of the Tomb Raider is just fucking dope. So let's give it up for... Wow. Come on. Remember where you're at, Mouse. Come on. There we go. Let's give it up for Rise of the Tomb Raider. Oh, boy. Please don't freeze. Okay, we made it through, y'all. Battle number 512, Gears of War 2 versus Borderlands. Huh. Wow. Uh, I think we're going to give it to Gears of War 2, finally. Um... Just because Borderlands, I've said it's, I, I like it a little bit more than Borderlands 2. But I think in this case, Gears of War 2 is a more unique game. Or Borderlands is one of, the, Borderlands is a podcast game. I turn off every line of dialogue. I turn off all the audio unrelated to actual gameplay. And I can just play that with a podcast for hours. Or Gears of War 2, yes, it does feel generic in the parts in between. But I like those characters. I was invested. I was interested in what was happening next in Gears of War 2. And I have an investment in that world where, yes, the Borderlands world I like. But in all honesty, I I attribute most of my love for the world to the prior to to the next two games. So, you know, Borderlands 2 and Tales from the Borderlands. That's really where I put my love of the franchise in on those two games. Borderlands is what got me interested. But the sequel and Tales is really what did it for me. So I'm going to give it to Gears of War 2 here. I think that game is more... It's not even that it's, how do I say this? Gears of War 2, the combat in Gears of War 2 feels more impactful. Well, Borderlands, everything feels disposable. And that's part of the appeal of that franchise, I guess. Part of the whole gameplay loop. But Gears of War 2 feels, when you take out an enemy in Gears of War 2, they explode or they just like go into chunks. They fall down. It's a very violent death. Where in Borderlands, yes, there's also dismemberment and there's blood and gore and all this stuff. But it feels like you... It feels, it's like, it's the difference between ripping a man's arm off and popping off a 
socket in the arm of an action figure. It's that difference where Borderlands kind of feels like an action figure. Gears of War 2 feels like an actual human. <laughs> and that's a really morbid and gross way of do- of comparing it, but it gets my point across. So once again, it is what it is. <laughs> so Gears of War 2, we're going to vote for here in battle number 512. It goes to Gears of War 2. Battle number 513, Singularity versus Borderlands. Wowzers, wowzers, wowzers. Um, wow, what are we going to do for this one? Let's give it, let's give it, fuck. Singularity versus Borderlands. You know what? Mm. Oh, if I put Singularity too high, that means both Borderlands games are going to be under Singularity, which kind of feels crazy. But I think Singularity, I, I really want to vote for Singularity, man. here's the thing i think this is the issue we're getting with a lot of these games where borderlands doesn't feel as much of an authored experience as singularity does where singularity feels like a very specific here are your weapons here are your combat encounters here are your narrative moments here are your set pieces here are your upgrade stations so you can upgrade your so you can upgrade your guns right at the perfect moment and then oh wow okay I i heard someone talking i was really concerned and here are your upgrade uh, little modules so you can upgrade your weapons right now and here's a combat encounter right afterwards so you can use those upgrades that you just used and then earn some more points to go to upgrades singularity felt like it was really trying to make the player have a good time where borderlands kind of felt kind of had that mmo type vibe where all right here there's a mission over here you got to drive over there now there's a there's a location over here it didn't really encourage like it was an open world, but it wasn't an open world because it was trying to get you to explore it like a Skyrim. It was an open world for the sake of not having to build authored levels, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Borderlands felt like, all right, here's your environment. Here's the next thing to do. Here's the next thing to do. Here's the next thing to do. And it's not, let's go to the next level. Let's go to the next set piece. It's, all right, now let's run over here. Okay, now let's run over there. Okay, now let's drive over here. And it felt a lot like... It's probably, it's definitely probably more fun. Definitely probably. I am certain that it's more fun to play Borderlands with friends than it is by yourself, but I didn't play it with friends. And that's really the issue here. Um, so I'm going to give it the singularity because Borderlands is more of a podcast game, more of a comfort food type game. Singularity is a game where even if the narrative and all that stuff isn't like the strongest thing in the world, I still thought it was cool. So we're going to give it up for singularity. So yeah, let's go ahead and give it a click. Oh boy. Okay. There we are. We're good. Battle number 514. Fear 2 Project Origin versus Borderlands. Um, I think I'm going to vote for Fear 2 Project Origin here. Uh, just because the twisted motivations of Alma are, I, it feels weird to use the word resonate because it terrifies the fuck out of me. But those motivations are like something that would really terrify the fuck out of me if it was me in the shoes of the main character so yeah i i like that about it i like the ghost in fear too i think the slow motion combat is really not just flashy but also really satisfying as well um and the gore that they have in project origin adds enhances to the feel of the combat borderlands doesn't really have that um it's a it's a fun game but i think the combat in fear too part partially because you can there's only a set number of weapons in fear too so you can enhance the feel of each of those weapons or borderlands you can easily get a you can easily get a statistic anomaly in borderlands that just isn't fun to use and it just ruins your whole play session 
So yeah, because of that, we're going to go with Fear 2 Project Origin. All due respect to Borderlands, but got to show some love for Fear 2. Battle number 515, Battlefield 1 versus Borderlands. <laughs> Shit. Um, are we at... Wow, we're 10 minutes away from two hours. This is going to be a longer one. Sorry, folks, but it is what it is. I say that so much in all these episodes, but, you know, you understand the plight. In any case, Battlefield 1 versus Borderlands for battle number 515. I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I'm feeling... I'm feeling Borderlands here. Because... Even though I love the rapper of Battlefield 1 so much more than I love the rapper of Borderlands, I still resonate with that rapper because it is Borderlands and because I have fallen in love with those characters in the prior games after. Um, but I, I hope I didn't. Prior games after in the latter games. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I still enjoy the rapper of Borderlands. But Battlefield 1, when I think about it, even if it wasn't too much of an issue ultimately... Just the way it puts you in these like multiplayer maps sometimes and it feels like, oh, this is just a big environment and I just have to find my objective as if it's like a domination point. Like there's literally one mission where they say capture this point and it's literally just a really big domination point. You just got to protect this field. And it just did not feel great. <laughs> or it's not that it like felt bad. It's just like, oh, y'all like it, you get that notion of like, oh, y'all didn't try here. Like, y'all could have tried and made, like, a combat encounter or something more authored. But y'all are like, nah, just put the same AI and assets from multiplayer and just do it. Like, that's what it felt like sometimes in Battlefield 1. But Borderlands feels like that even more so. Just for the fact that you get so few actual cutscenes with animated motion. Um, char literal, literal characters, or literally most characters are just like, hey, I'm standing here and I don't really move. Get a quest from me. Hey, I'm sitting down and I don't really move. Get a quest from me. You're ne the, the world feels very static in a way that Battlefield 1 doesn't feel static. Sometimes it just... The problem with Battlefield 1 is that the veil of its really great tone is dropped whenever they kind of reuse assets from multiplayer. But I think that veil is, over, is overall still stronger than the veil that they try to put over your eyes with Borderlands because you can see right through the shit in Borderlands. Battlefield 1, at least you you can see through it, but they leave it down a whole lot less than Borderlands. So I'm going to give it up for Battlefield 1 here. All due respect to Borderlands, but Battlefield 1 is where it's at. Battle number 516, Dante's Inferno versus Borderlands. Oh, wow. Uh, I think I'm, Dante's Inferno is a really fun ride. I've talked about it. I think it's a really solid video game. Um, it does fall apart at the end with the you know, time trials and stuff to pad out the game. I feel like I've said that exact phrase on last episode. So I apologize if I've, if that was super redundant, but uh, how, how, how do I feel about Dante's Inferno? How the fuck do I feel about Borderlands? I think, you know what? Here's what it comes down to. Both of these games have fun combat. I think the RPG and upgrading systems in Borderlands is more compelling and because of that, I'm going to vote for it here. While, yes, Dante's Inferno has some cool set pieces and some cool designs for the, you know, the different bosses that you fight in each level of hell or each circle of hell. I still think it's more fun to upgrade your character and to get different attributes and different upgrades. And I've said upgrade 52 times in the last millisecond. Um, I think it's just more fun to get through those paths of 
uh, progression. I think the progression in Borderlands is a lot better than the progression in Dante's Inferno. Feels a lot less cheap because in Dante's Inferno, it kind of felt like they were pushing you towards microtransactions just a little bit. Where in Borderlands, there were no microtransactions. Um, it was all just DLC episodes and stuff, and it just felt a lot more inviting you to play the game more than inviting you to buy extra shit for the game. So because of that, yeah, yeah, because of that, I'm going to choose Borderlands. So let's go ahead and give it a click. Oh, wow. Battle number 517 at 97% sorted. We are so close, y'all. We are so close. Um, this battle is Dante's Inferno versus Warhawk. Uh, I'm going to give this one to Warhawk just because the multiplayer is really fun, man. And War all Warhawk has is its multiplayer, but it's just arcadey and just fun in a way that didn't even feel like it feels old like you could tell it is a very early ps3 title it feels like a launch title it is you know it just it feels like a ps2 game in a lot of ways like visually it actually looks really good it's not like the visuals are really trash by any means but it's just like the gameplay philosophy feels very playstation 2 where it's it's arcadey to a degree that you don't really see in games anymore it's like if you've ever heard of the game um what is it called i i talked about it recently body count have you ever seen body count it's arcadey to that degree where it's like here's these giant colorful icons that are just in the middle of the world where doom like we talked about doom on this podcast multiple times and doom eternal as well doom is super arcadey to where literally there are one-ups hiding in the world that you can collect and just to keep playing but like that's part of Doom's aesthetic. Like, part of what we think of Doom being is just this super arcadey game where there's like one ups hanging around and there's like health packs on the floor and it's just breaking immersion completely. The thing about Warhawk is like the entire, the entire aesthetic of the game and the entire world design and character design and everything, all of that is pretty grounded. You could make a, when I say grounded, I'm saying like Halo grounded, where it's still sci fi, it's still kind of stupid and crazy, but like, it's at least in the same aesthetic or something. Everything about Warhawk's art is the same aesthetic until you get to a weapon. No, they couldn't just make a realistic machine gun that just lies on the ground and then you pick it up. No, it had to be a floating icon that you pick up and then it makes a loud sound and then you see your inventory fill up with 90 rounds of machine gun ammo. It's just very PS2 generation in that respect in how it treats some of its gameplay and some of its aesthetics. But I appreciate that. I think that was super charming. And plus the the times I had playing with friends in Warhawk, um, friends that I met online mostly because at that point, not a lot of my friends either had a PS3 or cared about the PS3. So it was a lot of me playing with just people I met online, um, getting into crazy. I didn't really get into the actual Warhawk, sh like ship combat or not ship, uh, plane combat too much but i did get into a lot of vehicles i love to get into the tanks i love to get into the warthogs i love to just drive around and just run around and throw grenades at people and just shoot people it was so fun man participating in those large-scale battles was so fun in warhawk and i think i think i like those battles more than i like dante's inferno where dante's inferno is a very solid game graphically impressive for the time but even if it is a fun ride 
I still think the memories and just the aspects of Warhawk that made it a unique game. Even a DLC had like really cool air air warships that you could like stuff eat people in. And they give you a trophy for filling out the entire thing. And I got that trophy because, you know, a couple homies helped me out that one night. But um, yeah, Warhawk is Warhawk really is that shit, man. And I have to give it props here. We're going to go ahead and vote for Warhawk here. Dante's Inferno, all due respect, but Warhawk is where it's at. Oh my god. Oh my god. Guys. I think the website just refreshed. My the wheel is spinning in the corner, guys. Oh my god. Oh my god. I just had a cold shiver. Oh no. If this thing refreshed, Oh no, guys. Oh no. Wait a second. Wait, I don't think it refreshed. No. <gasps> Your list was created. Okay. All right. We're, we're good, everyone. We're good. Okay. So I must have, it must have just skipped the 99%, 98 and 99%. All right. So let's see what it is. Oh my god, guys. <laughs> Alright, let me let me calm down. Let me wait until the final list is actually shown on screen. Oh. Results. Wait. Wait. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It just said <sighs> well, guys, it's showing the results, and literally what I see on screen is the first thing that we started with, is battle number one all over again, all 517 battles erased. But it says results on the page, so I don't understand. Goodness gracious, y'all. This has gutted me. This has totally ruined my whole mood. I was so excited for a minute, and then it just got canceled. Um, well, give me a second. <laughs> well, I'm going to cut right here. And I will probably share this clip on Twitter because this is so devastating. So I'm going to cut right here. I'm going to redo everything. Pro maybe not tonight. I might come back another day and finish this episode. But I'm going to stop recording. I'm going to come back to you guys as soon as everything's reset up. And we're going to try again. Hopefully tomorrow. But we're going to try again. God help me. I tried, but hey, now that this is reset, now I'm just going to fucking reset my computer and update everything that needs to be updated and go on with my life. But in any case, we're going to go ahead and do this. I'll come back right after this. All right. Welcome back, y'all. Uh, or I guess welcome back to me. You guys are listening to the same file. I'm sorry about that. That was a very devastating moment for me, and it was very traumatizing, and I was very sad and upset. But finally, 
after a couple of days, admittedly, because it to resort 517 battles all over again, it's not something you want to do immediately. So it took me a couple of days, finally got it, and we're back to finally get to the end of this thing. And if you recall, last time we were deciding between Dante's Inferno and Warhawk, and Warhawk was the one that I had chosen. So we're going to go ahead and select that right now. Warhawk is going to win battle 517. And after this, we're going to see what's after this. You don't know how cursed this screen has been. Just looking at battle 517 at 97% sorted. I can't wait to see what's next. So let's go ahead and click Warhawk. Boy, howdy. It's 518. <laughs> oh, my God. 518. Let's see. Dante's Inferno versus Prototype 2. Um, we've talked about Prototype 2. Um, yeah, I, Prototype 2 is just a lot more fun. Just on a base level, yes, the story is garbage, but I'm not that engaged with Dante's Inferno's story either. And if I had to compare just the straight up gameplay of each of those, Prototype 2 definitely, definitely appeals to me more. So I'm going to have to give it to Prototype 2 for this one. Battle number 519, Burnout 3 Takedown versus Dante's Inferno. Uh, yeah, this one's pretty easy as well. Let's go ahead and give it to Burnout 3 Takedown. Uh, any Burnout game I'm going to have more fun with than I will with Dante's Inferno. And that's just, that's just a fact, man. That's just a fact. So let's go ahead and click Burnout 3 Takedown. Battle number 520, Dante's Inferno versus Call of Duty World War II. And I swear to God, if my phone wants to go off while I'm in the middle of recording this penultimate episode, I will go off on a man and or woman and or anything in between. But luckily, it was just a text notification, which I can gleefully ignore and put my phone on mute for just a few more minutes. Um, so, yeah, uh, battle number 520 is Dante's Inferno versus Call of Duty World War II. Um, this one is actually kind of challenging. You know what? I think here's what it comes down to. Dante's Inferno had a very fun campaign, but that campaign kind of fell apart towards the end and the story I wasn't all that engaged in. Where the campaign in Modern Warfare 2, gameplay-wise, it wasn't it wasn't flawed. Well, it was flawed in the way that I found it boring to play, but gameplay-wise, it wasn't like there wasn't a big issue where the gameplay was broken or anything. It's just more that the way that they used that still satisfying gunplay in Call of Duty, but the way it was used in the campaign was just in the most cookie-cutter way imaginable. Uh, it really lacked any, I don't know, any new ideas as far as the Call of Duty campaigns go. And a lot of them, a lot of campaigns in the Call of Duty franchise are, you know, copy and paste in some elements, but... World War II specifically just felt like it wasn't doing anything new, not just in the Call of Duty landscape, but in the just first-person shooter landscape. And it was really disappointing because of that. Um, but God, that multiplayer is so good in World War II, where it's because I've said it on a previous episode, but because you don't have to worry about all these crazy kill streaks and all these crazy, you know, drones and all these other thing, all these other, you know, unknown variables in a regular multiplayer match. You don't have to worry about all that insanity. It's really is hyper focused on just a straight up gun v gun gameplay. And I really like that. Even grenades and all that stuff, all the spam on that stuff was reduced substantially to the point where nah, it's just about who shot first and getting your kill streaks off i really love that um and dante's inferno is still fun but ultimately i think i have more positive feelings and thoughts about world war ii so because of that we're gonna go ahead and hit call of duty world war ii battle number 521 
Dante's Inferno versus Wolfenstein, The New Order. Uh, um, yeah, this isn't actually too hard. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and choose Wolfenstein here. Uh, Dante's Inferno. Is it Dante? Is Dante's Inferno is still a fun game? I want to make sure that's known. It is a fun game. It is a good game, and you know, worth trying out if you're able to get your hands on a copy. I know it's exclusive to last generation at this point, but um, Wolfenstein: The New Order is just a more unique game. It it takes a little bit more risk. It takes a little bit. It, it's a little bit more out there, um, and I think it successfully accomplishes a lot of the things it sets out to do now i'll I'll, i keep saying that wolfenstein the new order's gameplay is really fun but wolfenstein the new order kind of suffers from the bioshock 2 effect where multiple times throughout this series i've talked about how much i criticize bioshock 1 because it's not bioshock 2 and that's the game i love so much wolfenstein the new order is the same thing where you could see the seeds of the crazy type of narrative and the crazy tone that Wolfenstein 2 would set. You could see the seeds of them in here. You could see little, little aspects of it here and there, but they don't go full on with it. Um, with the exception of maybe, uh, the, the concentration camp scene in, in Wolfenstein New Order. I don't want to spoil too much, but with the exception of that scene, that feels like the only thing where it's like, yo, that's crazy that that happened. Where in Wolfenstein 2, over half the game is like, I can't believe I'm doing this in a fucking game. Or I can't believe this is the plot motivation. Or I can't believe this is a scene. Like, that game just does some really crazy shit that you just don't expect. Um, and because of that, we're going to go ahead and give it to Wolfenstein, the new order here. Uh, Dante's Inferno, I got respect for you, but I do feel like Wolfenstein is, is outclassing you by quite a bit. So let's go ahead and give it up for Wolfenstein. Battle number 522, Dante's Inferno versus Torchlight 2. Uh, hmm. Now, this is really difficult because this is literally just I've talked about Torchlight 2 and while I do enjoy that game, when it comes right down to it, I don't much of the plot doesn't stick to me. I didn't even beat the campaign. Uh, I, I got everything I wanted out of Torchlight 2. I don't feel like I'm wanting for anything else from that game, but I never beat it. So it's kind of like, you know, how how much the, the story clearly wasn't engaging enough for me to make it a priority to beat. And so that's not really what I was in there for. I was really in there just for the pure gameplay, just to level up the click the things, they explode, you get gold, you get XP, you get exp- you get all these rewards and all the loot, of course. Uh, that's really why I played Torchlight 2. But in the grand scheme of things, I think about the moment to moment gameplay of Torchlight 2 and how minimalist it is. It, it legitimately is just click, click, click. It's just a bunch of clicking and then hitting a couple, uh, keys on my computer to use my abilities and then wait for those to cycle through um, and then use my health potions when things are getting low. Like it's just a bunch of resource management when you get right down to it. And while it's not a, I, I want to say it's not an engaging gameplay loop, but I know, I know full well that that is the gameplay loop for a lot of different games. You know, a lot of MMOs use that same structure. Um, shoot, Diablo is a game that people love for ages and that uses a very similar structure as well. Um, and I always have fun with Torchlight 2, but I feel like my fun in Torchlight 2 is primarily due to the rewards because the gameplay is so rewarding because you're always getting new loot. And even if it's, even if it's not something that is going towards the build that you want to make, you can always sell it, put it on your pet's backpack and send them to town to sell it. Um, it, it kept the rewards coming. And I think that's the big reason why I love Torchlight 2 so much. Dante's Inferno is not as rewarding as Torchlight 2. It is very rewarding. I mean, just the, you know, instant gratification of the, 
violence in Dante's Inferno. Uh, with a lot of these games, a lot of these hyper violent games, the violence sometimes is part of the reward, like the executions you get when you either absolve someone of their sins or punish them for the, their sins. Those different animations are kind of their own reward for combat. Um, and then, you know, getting high combo counts, getting high counts of XP, uh, for hitting your really high combos and just doing some of the set piece moments in the game is really cool. And I think that's what it's going to come down to. Dante's Inferno feels more, Torchlight 2 feels so much like a video game that you kind of forget the, the wrapper in which it is wrapped in, where Torchlight 2 is like, you, you, when you're playing it, you get so focused on, all right, let's click. All right, let's make sure my one ability is going. Now my two ability, now my three ability. Oh, one's refreshed. Now let's hit that one again. And you're focused on the numbers, the stats, and just the cold calculated parts of Torchlight 2. Or you forget the art style is really good. You forget that there is a narrative, even if I don't really care about it. You forget that there are characters with some interesting designs and with some lore and stuff. You forget all that stuff is around there in Torchlight 2. Because the gameplay really hyper focuses on everything but those aesthetics around the gameplay. Where Dante's Inferno, that gameplay is kind of intertwined with the aesthetics. And the aesthetics and the monster designs and the level designs and all that stuff, you kind of experience them through gameplay a, a little bit more directly than Torchlight 2. Where Torchlight 2 is just an arena for which the gameplay to take place. In Dante's Inferno, when you're in the lust level and you're fighting that monster, that is a engaging boss fight with different, even if it's not the most different or original concepts, different things happen in those boss fights with like greed and, and gluttony and lust that are based off of those areas. But then you're, you're engaging with that through the combat rather than it just being like a purely stat focused thing or a purely wait for my abilities to charge thing. It is, you feel like you're in it more. It feels a little bit more visceral, which I guess is appropriate because I believe visceral games did make Dante's Inferno and it is certainly a visceral game. And also I got to give it up for Dante's Inferno being so graphically impressive on last gen hardware. Uh, getting visuals like that at 60 frames per second is no tough feat and it definitely pays off in a game that looks great. Um, so for battle number 522, we're going to go ahead and give it to Dante's Inferno for, for this one. Yeah. Kind of feels weird. Cause I, t I, I have a lot of fond thoughts and memories on Torchlight 2. When you get right down to it, I think it is a, you know, the focus isn't quite on all of Torchlight 2 that I like, where I think I like more of Dante, Dante's Inferno's individual parts than I do for Torchlight's individual parts. So let's give it to Dante's Inferno. Battle number 523, Darksiders versus Torchlight 2. Whew, this seems like it's going to be Judgment Day for Torchlight 2 right now. Um, I love Darksiders. I love Torchlight 2. Darksiders I've talked about where it has that Zelda kind of... It has that Zelda exploration. It has that Devil May Cry slash uh, God of War type combat puzzles. Here's the thing. Darksiders 1, I really don't have much memory of how those puzzles went. I somewhat remember there being some type of portal situation where you use like portal-like mechanics. And when I say portal, I mean like the game portal. You literally shoot like blue and uh, orange circles and one through them and get shot out to other parts of the place. Um, I don't remember much other much of the other puzzles besides that. I think I might be due for a replay of Darksiders 1 because I am kind of foggy on it despite my positive feelings on the game. 
Um, I think this one, I think this one comes down to a pure engagement level as well. Uh, where Darksiders, I don't think the world, both of these worlds are, I don't know if the worlds are unengaging, but for both of these games, I wasn't engaged in those worlds. And it's probably due to my own choice because I was so focused on the gameplay. Um, but I don't know, man. In a vacuum, the gameplay of Darksiders appeals to me more in a vacuum. Like if you just took like if you just said, oh, we got this type of combat system, I'd be more likely to play that than something like Torchlight 2. Where Torchlight 2, I feel like it kind of fell upon incidentally. Or not incidentally, accidentally. I literally I think how I played Torchlight 2 was that it was free for one weekend on Steam. I got a new laptop, so I installed it. And was like, oh, this is a lot of fun. Oh my god, this is a well, this is addictive. And then paid my fifteen dollars, kept playing, and lost a good twenty hours. So, but Darksiders, I got completely for free, played it out of curiosity, and was like, oh, this is actually pretty great. Um, it's really tough, though. It's really tough to say which of these games is the overridden thing. You know what? We're gonna give it to Darksiders here again. Because once I think I said this at the top of the argument for these two games, uh, Darksiders is just uh, more engaging overall. It, the combat's more engaging. The world is more engaging. Like, let's get down to this. I haven't beat Torchlight 2, so I know that's a kind of an Achilles heel thing right there. But the end of Darksiders actually got me hyped. I got excited for the end of Darksiders because, you know, the Horseman of the Apocalypse, he summons the other horsemen. And I think that's really, really cool. Um, I don't quite know what, you know, is going to come of that. You know, we don't know what's going to happen in whatever the fourth official game is going to be. We just got Genesis, which I haven't touched yet. But that kind of got me hyped. And I was engaged in that narrative just enough for that ending to have some type of impact on me. Uh, where Torchlight 2, I couldn't tell you a single thing. I couldn't tell you a single character. I couldn't tell you a single plot point. I couldn't even tell you what my class is. I know I chose the mage, but I know it's not called the mage. Um, it's called like Technomancer or something like that. I, I remember so much of so little of the stuff around Torchlight 2's gameplay where Darksiders, I remember not just his gameplay, but also a couple things about his world. The, the, the lore, the narrative, the environments, the, all the stuff around the core gameplay left a little bit more of an impression on me than Torchlight 2. So because of that, we're going to get Darksiders. Darksiders going to win 523. Oh my god, y'all. We're 98% sorted. Holy shit. I'm not gonna lie, when I clicked that first one, I thought this whole thing was just gonna refresh on its own again. I don't know what caused it last time, but man, I am like bugging out. We are getting so close, y'all. Oh my god. Let's see. Battle number 524, Borderlands 2 versus Torchlight 2. Um, I think I'm gonna give it to Borderlands 2 here. Because while I've criticized Borderlands 2 for its loot-based system not leading to the best-feeling weaponry, um, Borderlands 2 is still... The narrative of Borderlands 2, I still think is pretty cool. There's actually some pretty great moments in there. Uh, some pretty memorable moments, impactful moments. I think the Borderlands 2 narrative is still pretty strong. But yeah, that meme humor still does get to me. Just the whole ridiculous sense of humor it has can grade on you after a while. And... Um, and yeah, I've already talked about my issues with the gameplay, but I think the narrative is strong enough to where I still, here's the thing, despite my issues with Borderlands 2's gameplay, I think I still prefer that gameplay to Torchlight 2, where 
even coming back to Torchlight 2, because I actually played a little bit of Torchlight 2 a couple weeks ago, because I got invited to the beta for Torchlight 3. So I said, all right, let me brush up on my Torchlight. Um, I really do enjoy, I enjoy Torchlight 2, but like after walking away from it, coming back to the same save I had back in what, 2015? No, it must have been 2013 or 14, somewhere around there. I graduated in 2013, so this had to have been 2014, I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, coming back to my save from then, oh, what, these six years later, did not hit as hard. I did not know what was going on. I did not know what to do. I was completely and totally lost in Torchlight 2. Um, I was still having fun clicking stuff, but like the rewards didn't hit as hard because I didn't know where I was starting from. I didn't know what these rewards were doing because I didn't know what I already had. I didn't know how powerful I was. I didn't know how to use certain stuff like scrolls and all these other things. I was so overwhelmed with Torchlight 2 trying to hop back into it. Borderlands 2 I hopped back into recently due to hype for Borderlands 3. And it's fun, but like it has a similar issue where you hop into Borderlands 2 and I have this inventory full of weapons, a lot of legendaries, but I'm like, all right, I don't know what's what. I don't know, you know, what to put my skill points into. And this is the enhancement collection, which I had beaten, you know, a couple months ahead of time. So it's not like I had years of time away from Borderlands 2, but just coming back to it, trying to play the DLC, it, what the DLC isn't as engaging because it really leans on just audio logs and less authored content like you get in the base game. Um, I've had I have issues with both of these games clearly, but I'm a, it has to be Borderlands Two again, man. Because the Torchlight lore, I couldn't tell you nothing about Torchlight lore, but Borderlands Two lore, yes, mainly thanks to Tales from the Borderlands. I'm really into the Borderlands lore, but Borderlands Two is what got me interested. Borderlands One, I didn't care at all because gameplay was good, and it kind of switched entirely in Borderlands Two, where gameplay wasn't as great, but I really cared about the world. And the characters a lot more. So let's go ahead and give it to Borderlands 2 for this one. Battle number 525, Battlefield 4 versus Torchlight 2. Aha. Uh We're going to hit. God, this is hard. Because Battlefield 4, I've talked about the campaign, indifferent to the campaign, do not care about it at all. But I love the multiplayer. Um, and I think we're going to give it to Battlefield 4, actually, because... I like that multiplayer a whole lot. Like, here's the thing, man. I think Battlefield 4 is suffering from the similar thing in Torchlight because I was so engaged in the gameplay of Torchlight that I forgot about everything else. Battlefield 4, I'm so engaged in the unlocks and the the gun customization and just the feeling of getting a kill streak in that game and just the moment to moment of Battlefield 4. I'm so ingrained in that. I couldn't tell you jack shit about what conflict this is. I don't know what team I'm on. It's I just shoot the red triangles. Like that's how you play Battlefield. Um so I still I still think I had more fun with Battlefield 4. I definitely put more hours into Battlefield 4, if not the same amount. I feel like I put more hours into Battlefield 4 ultimately between PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4. And yes, I bought that game twice because I did not have a PS4 yet, but really wanted to play BF4 and not the best decision, but once I got on PS4, it was a wrap, and it's all I played for a very long time. Um, so yeah, Battlefield 4 is going to win this one. Sorry, Torchlight. You're, you're going to get your roses soon, but Battlefield has to get one right now. Oh, wow. Battle number 526. Oh, Half-Life 2 versus Torchlight 2. Wow. Wow. Am I going to make people mad? You know what? I'm not going to make people mad. Uh, I don't remember much of Half-Life 2. I'll just be straight up with you right now. I don't remember much of that story, but I remember Alex being kind of cool. I remember some, 
I remember this one turret sequence in a mine where you had to use a bunch of these auto turrets to kind of hold back a bunch of these bugs and it was a very dynamic fight and I really enjoyed it and thought it was super unique. Uh, the gravity gun, just the gravity gun as a mechanic, I think is super great, um, especially towards the end of the base game where you get some new, new abilities with that gun. Um, I just really like, I think Half-Life 2 is really cool where it doesn't make a huge impact on me personally, not particularly, but Half-Life 2, I think it's just so fucking cool that I have to put it on this list just based strictly off of like, like, I just enjoy the ideas in that game. I think ideas are cool. Is it my favorite playing shooter? Not particularly. Um, Is it, you know... Yeah, it's innovative with the physics and everything, but by the time I got to it, that was a staple in every game at that point. Uh, and narratively, I'm not too engaged with it. I'm really not into into Half-Life lore or anything. Um, I, I do. I did install uh, Black Mesa over on Steam, which is a remake of the original game, and I do hope to play that someday soon. It has controller support, so that will make it a lot easier for me. Um, and I haven't, I haven't even beaten Half-Life 2 Episode 2, so I'm way behind when it comes to Half-Life and God, Lord knows I don't have a PC VR unit to play Alex. But in any case, I think I'm going to give it to Torch, or not Torchlight, sorry. Uh, sorry, Torchlight fans, if you're listening, but I'm going to give this one to Half-Life 2. Uh, it's a classic, and while it's not as up there for me as it is for other folks, I still acknowledge that it's a classic, and it's a classic for a lot of the reasons that I enjoy it. Uh, really great art environments as well. Some pretty cool art design. There's a lot of stuff to appreciate in Half-Life 2 and a lot of different things to appreciate in Half-Life 2 where in Torchlight 2, it really just comes down to the gameplay. So yeah, let's hit Torch... Or let's go ahead and hit Half-Life 2. They, they both have a 2 at the end, so screw me up, but we're going to click Half-Life 2. Battle number 5, 27, Costume Quest versus Torchlight 2. Um, wow. <clears> hmm. <throat> I think Costume Quest, I think, is a great game, but I think the the main reason I like Costume Quest is for its aesthetic, where I think it's so charming, the whole idea of you, you're wearing your costumes and you become whatever the costume is and battle in a turn-based system. I think that's a really endearing idea, and I think that carries my love of the game through a lot um, and those characters and everything. And just the atmosphere and the aesthetic of that game is super endearing. But I'm not into turn-based combat. Like, it's not that the turn-based combat of the game was a hindrance, per se. It's just that I never got excited about that part of the game. It was always just something I did to continue the narrative and to see where else these characters would go and to give me a reward. It wasn't something I enjoyed in and of itself, you know? Where Torchlight 2, even if that game had no narrative, had no, no art, had no lore, had no characters, had none of that, I just think I still would enjoy Torchlight 2 a whole lot. And I think that's a good argument to go ahead and give Torchlight 2 this this win. Because I know Torchlight 2 has been starving for wins. Um, Costume Quest, still super endearing. Still super love it. But there are other games on here that have done the endearing, cute thing. While still having some type of gameplay that I find more engaging. So Costume Quest, I love you. But Torchlight 2 is going to get this W. Battle number 528. Costume quests versus beats. Whew. You know what? I think costume quest is going to get this one. Um, just for the simple fact that I've already talked about costume quest, everything I love about it, the aesthetics and all. But beats is just beats I only like for one feature. And that's really the Achilles heel of beats where I think that game's great. I think it's a fun rhythm game, but I think 
that Beats isn't worth playing if you don't have a PSP loaded up with different MP3s of your own music. That's the only reason Beats is worth playing. And that one gimmick put it on this list almost solely where I don't care. I've tried to play through the main campaign with the songs that are part of the experience, part of the regular game. I don't care about those songs. Those songs don't even stick out in my memory. I remember them being generic, but I don't know if that's just because they were generic or if I didn't care. But that just shows how much I only care about that one singular aspect of beats. And that aspect was great. And I utilized it many, many times through my childhood. Um, but it is just one aspect. It is just one feature where Costume Quest, I played all of that. Um, and I enjoyed all of it. Even the parts that don't speak to me personally, like the turn-based combat, I still think it served a purpose and there were cute animations and stuff to still enjoy. Uh, so yeah, Costume Quest is going to get a W here. Sorry, Beats, you and your orange color scheme will get some recognition another day. Maybe. Battle number 529. Kanan Lynch 2 Dog Days versus Beats. Um, this is another case where Beats is one thing, Kanan Lynch. Actually, Kanan Lynch is a similar case because the aesthetics is what I like about Kanan Lynch. Or I guess the, the aesthetics and the gameplay. Or not gameplay. The aesthetics and the narrative. Where the narrative itself, like the plot, I don't care about. But just like how these characters act and some of the situations they get put into. Not necessarily the sequence of their situations or any of that i just like seeing these characters react to the shit that they have to do and the shit that they gotta go through i think that's really entertaining <laughs> where it's not like fun but it is definitely entertaining and just interesting to watch kane like kane and lynch you know go through this fucked up adventure um and plus the aesthetics i've talked about a million times where that really messed up, lively, digitized, grainy looking video footage really is a great aesthetic. And I think it really, you know, brings out the really cool style of that game. But Beats, I've already talked about. Beats is just the MP3 feature. If I couldn't play MP3s on Beats, it wouldn't be on this list. And that's the one thing where Cana Lynch 2 Dog Days, if it wasn't a shooter, I think I'd still be into it. Um, if it didn't have that crazy, grimy narrative, I think I'd still be into it. And even if it didn't have the digitized effects, I think I would still like it. I don't think it would be on this list, but I think it was. I would still like it. So I think that's really what it comes down to, where I like more elements of Kane and Lynch 2 Dog Days than I do elements of Beats. And because of that, we're going to give it up for Kane and Lynch 2 Dog Days. Battle number 530. Bastion versus Beats. Wow. Um... This is a this is gonna be an interesting one. Um, really, what it comes down to, Bastion has great gameplay, and I'm sure the narrative is strong. But I had broken it up too far to be able to tell if the narrative comes together at the end, because uh, I had played it a whole bunch, and then two years later, I was like an hour away from the ending and beat it. So, Bastion is cool. Bastion is great, but beats, beats. We've talked about beats. Whew. I feel like on paper, Bastion is the correct answer. But which answer do I like? Which one had a bigger impact on me? I really want to say beats here just because just the memories I have of playing, like like I said, Jamie Foxx, Digital Girl, uh, playing all these random songs, uh, Lil Boozy, Wipe Me Down. Or I think Fox made that song and it was featuring Lil Boozy and uh what Lil Webby as well um yeah I just played a lot of songs on beats back in the day 
uh, the Digital Girl remix was the song to play on beats because it just had constant notes the entire song. And you just get a really high score. Uh, I love that stuff about beats. And Bastion has great gameplay, but I don't really feel passion when I think about Bastion. I'm not sitting here like, oh, man. Like, objectively, the art is gorgeous. Objectively, that voiceover is brilliant. Objectively, the combat is strong. But I'm not sitting here feeling like, oh, man. I really got to ride or die for Bastion. My instinct is wanting to ride and die for Beats, but I don't feel like Beats deserves it because it is just that one element. Bastion has a lot of different elements to appreciate. And actually, I'm forgetting they had the, not necessarily RPG system, but the whole shop system where you could switch out your weapons and equip different uh, uh, different modifiers and get different equipment and stuff like that. I really think that was a cool system too. A system that I didn't engage in too often because I was definitely afraid of making the game any more difficult than it was because Bastion is not an easy game. But there is a lot to engage in on Bastion, and I think I need to show some respect for all those extra layers of the gameplay that showed that shows themselves in the game. So, yeah, we're going to vote for Bastion here. I'm sorry, Beats. Hopefully Beats isn't number 100. I mean, I'd be fine with that. That's totally accept acceptable, but... That feels kind of dirty, uh, but we're going to go ahead and give it up for Bastion right now. Oh, my God, guys. We're at 99%. We are at 99%. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. All right, let's get through this. Battle number 531, Nidhogg versus Beats. This one's not even a contest. Nidhogg is going to win this one. One of the greatest couch co-op games of all time. And while, honestly... The one mode of beats is probably just as limited as the entire game of Nidhogg, but what you can do in that one game of Nidhogg is super compelling, super fun every single time. Um, super simple, and I think because it's so simple, that's kind of what makes it so brilliant and so accessible. So, yeah, let's give it up for Nidhogg. I've taught the praises of Nidhogg before on the show. Yeah, Nidhogg's great. Everyone should own Nidhogg on something. It's the ultimate party game. Um, and I, I love Jackbox Party Pack, and I think those are better party games and games I enjoy more. But Nidhogg is like the most pure, like, all right, 1v1 me, bro. Like, it's the most pure expression of that, and I love it. So, yeah, let's get Nidhogg on here. Oh, boy. <laughs> Battle number 532, Jackbox Party Pack 5 versus Beats. Um, this is another case where Jackbox Party Pack 5, it is, uh, what is it? It's Madverse City and Patently Stupid. Those are the two games for that bundle that I love. The rest of them are just whatever. Um, not that they're bad, it's just I don't care about those as much as the other two games I just listed. Um, Patently Stupid, I think is fun. Once you're able to get into a group that will actually want to play along by its rules, that is fun. But Madverse City, man, Madverse City is something truly special and truly, you know, worth experiencing with friends. Uh, comparing that to Beats, I think here's the difference here, because let's, let's lo only look at Madverse City in this comparison right now, since that is my favorite game on the Jackbox Party Pack 5. Um, Beats allowed me to experience my favorite R&B tracks and my favorite hip-hop track. Or forget R&B. Beats allowed me to experience my favorite hip-hop tracks and my favorite rap tracks in a way that I've never been able to before. But not every song perfectly translated into beats. Sometimes the way its tracking would work, it would not match notes. It would match lyrics or it would match parts of the song that you weren't really listening to. And it would come out sometimes funky. Or in Jackbox Party Pet 5, when you have uh, the, wow, I just said it, the rap robot game, 
where, where you're making freestyles as the rap robots. I just said the title of it earlier and I don't know why I'm forgetting it. Um, that is, I always feel smart whenever I play that game. And it's less that I feel smart in a, oh man, E equals MC square type way. It's more that I always feel clever where, oh, I'm able to put together this rhyme that gets at a really specific insult on this person I'm rapping against. And just that feeling of a rap battle is incredible. And that feeling is way higher than the feeling that I get when even playing the song, even when a song perfectly blends into the algorithm and perfectly works for beats, even those songs can't match how I feel when I hit a nice bar in in a Madverse City. I finally thought of the name. So yeah, let's give it up for Jetbox Party Pack 5 for this one. Battle number 533, Comet Crash versus Beats. Uh, yeah, Comet Crash is going to get this one. Uh, one of my favorite RTS games of all time. Super engaging, super fun. There's a sequel on PS4 right now if you want to go try that out, Comet Crash 2. Uh, I think it's really fun. I think it's really solid. And the fact you got to place your uh, towers along the battlefield to kind of make your own route, uh, I really think that's engaging and it adds a lot more strategy to it. Uh, and it's just a game that I don't usually play that I really enjoy. So I want to give a shout out to Comet Crash here. Beats, it's not looking good for you, but we're going to go ahead and vote for Comet Crash here. Battle number 534. Every single click could be the last click, y'all. It, it, it There's no telling what the last battle's going to be. I'm very excited for this. Uh, battle number 534. We're still at 99% sorted. Portal versus Beats. Now, this is rough because Beats is the runt of the litter. Beats is the most neglected redheaded stepchild of this entire battle. Portal, I have shat on so many times. I have shat on Portal excessively throughout this entire series. But is this the time where Portal gets its due? I think so. <laughs> Portal's going to win this one uh, just for the simple fact that Yes, I've said all my problems with Portal and how Portal 2 was overhyped for me and Portal 1, I've seen all of it by the time I played the game, but I do think Portal is still pretty cool. I think the concept is cool. If nothing else, the idea of Portal is really neat. Um, the execution is great as well, but like the execution can only hit as hard the first time you see it. And, you know, I had seen Portal a million times by the time I had played it, so you know, you can only make a good first impression once, but I think Portal is still a cool game, fun game, interesting game, and it didn't really blow my mind. It was such a muted novelty by the time I got to it. Man, I'm so, ooh, this is making me think, this is making me think, Beats is so, dude, when you get the right song in Beats, it's fucking awesome. When you get that high score, it's the most incredible thing. And God forbid that there's someone who got the exact same titled MP3 as you, and then it gets put on the leaderboards. It's the tightest shit in the world, dude. Ugh. Beats is going to win. I'm sorry, Portal. I'm so sorry, Portal. People are going to have my head on a pike. But I have to follow my heart. Beats for nostalgia alone. Because I actually have nostalgia about Beats. I don't have nostalgia about Portal. So for nostalgia alone, we're going to give it to Beats. Whew, 534 goes to Beats. Oh my god. Guys, we did it. We fucking did it. Wow. I have made enemies with this list. Oh my god. Oh my god. Uh, this top dude. 
the top 10 here, the top 10 are fucking wow. This is not how I expected the top 10 to look, but it is accurate, man. Holy shit. This is going to be fun. Oh, my God. So we finally got the list, y'all. After all these episodes, after what, 200 and, or 200, after two hours and 30 minutes of this podcast, this is probably the longest episode by far. We finally have a final list and we finally have reached the end of this mainline series. It, actually, this isn't the end. What am I saying? The end doesn't come until I show you what this ranking is. Cause you listening right now, you can't see what I see. I see the answers to everything and I see the types of plans that I'm going to have to make. Um, but now what this means for me is that I will now start working on the video finale. Um, it's going to take me a couple weeks. So please, please, please be patient with me. Um, it's going to take me a while because I know how I am with video editing and I've done a couple things on video and stuff. And it's not like I'm not proficient or anything, but I, I'm just a very not tedious man, a very patient man when it comes to doing very long projects, big projects like this, because this is going to be hours long. Um, if the average episode of these podcasts were two hours long, expect whatever this video thing to at least be around that time. Um, but it's going to be a Twitch stream, so it won't seem as long in the, in the context of a, maybe not a Twitch stream, but it'll be in the context of something that everyone's going to tune into live and it'll be an event. Um, you guys will be able to watch it on YouTube afterwards, but I'm probably going to make it a YouTube premiere. Um, but yeah, I'm going to start working on that like tomorrow, possibly. <laughs> I do have classes I got to worry about because I did just sign up for them. So I got to, you know, make sure I'm on my P's and Q's for that. But yeah, for this podcast, this is the end of me talking on a mic alone. This is the end of just the podcast version. When I come back, when I come back next, actually, the next thing you'll see in this podcast feed before we get to the video finale is going to be episode zero of Keeping It 100, which is just going to be me going back to uh, the original episode, because if you guys have been keeping up with uh, episode one of Keeping It 100, you'll notice that that was actually sorting 10% to uh, 20%. And that was a weird choice, I'm sure. So the one right before that, the Players Club episode that posted right before episode one of Keeping It 100, that actually had zero to 10%. So I'm going to go ahead and take that segment out of that episode of the podcast. I'm going to post it as a standalone episode, episode zero of Keeping It 100. Um, so you guys can just have another little thing to hold on to while I'm still working on this video. Um, it's going to take me a while, I know, but I... I assure you it's going to be pretty worth it. It's going to be worth it, not just from a point of entertainment, but also uh, maybe you guys will get something out of it as well, other than just a cool piece of entertainment to watch. Uh, so let me go ahead and wrap this thing up before we get too long here. Uh, thank you guys for listening to all these episodes. If you've been here since the start, thank you for sticking with me through all the technical difficulties and all the delayed episodes because my life is crazy and getting things on time is sometimes a hassle. Um, I want to thank you all for your patience. I want to thank you all for your support. I've seen a couple of y'all on Twitter giving shouts out and everything. And trust me, every people are going to get some roses once this video finale comes out. I need to give some shouts out. Um, so yeah, I want to thank you all for everything you guys have done, not just for this show, but just for VGU.TV as a whole. Uh, I, I, I know a lot of you guys have you know, come for this podcast, but have sometimes stayed for some of the other content we make or vice versa. You've been looking at the website for a while and then you took a chance on me for a solo show. I really appreciate that. Um, I want to just thank you all for that. 
Uh, thank you all for listening to this episode, which is, yes, still the longest episode. I apologize, but hopefully you guys have enjoyed it. I'm going to go ahead and take my black ass to bed because I actually recorded this last segment right after work. And I am only with I'm only infused with so much energy because I finally got this done. And so I'm happy and I'm going to ride this happiness all the way until the end of this video production is rendered. So, yeah, thank you guys for everything. Uh, much love to you all. Please be safe out there. Uh, I'm not going to get on my high horse because it's much too late in the podcast for that. But yeah, y'all know what you need to be doing. Let's do some more of it. Uh, and as I always say, this has been Emmett Watkins Jr., also known as DJ Sponsors One. And as I always say, keep it real, keep it true. Adios, y'all. And see you soon for the video finale. But first episode zero. All right, I'm out. <laughs>